This podcast is brought to you by OneSkin. I first found out about OneSkin because it was given to me as a gift from my friend Heidi. She's always on the cutting edge looking for the latest, greatest. Well, OneSkin was definitely not an exception because what I found out is that it's so scientifically based. I was given the OneSkin, the OS01 face. And I found out that it was clinically proven to strengthen the skin barrier, improve skin health markers, and diminish visible signs of aging. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. I not only like it because it is rooted in science, and they found the OS01 peptide. So one skin scientist found that the OS01 peptide reverses skin biological age by reducing the number of senescent cells by up to 50%. So zombie cells, and you're like, okay, what does that mean? It means that they worked really hard and a lot of years and did a lot of studies and found this peptide that really does help with your skin. But I also like that it's simple. So I started with the skin. I also do use the eye and they have a body one and they have a great offer for you today. All you have to do is go to oneskin.co and if you want to try one skin for a limited time, our listeners will get an exclusive 15% off their first one skin purchase using the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y, by going to oneskin.co. So it's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. It's simple and effective, and it is more than skincare. It's about skin longevity, targeting the root cause of aging to help you look and feel your best at every age. The trap most athletes fall into is they just share their media day photos. They share their game photos. All of a sudden, everyone wants to talk about why Tiger Woods is leaving Nike. What what do you think he's going to do? It's okay to piss off a bunch of people. In fact, you probably should be like if you're not sharp enough with your brand, if you're not upsetting some people, a, a large percentage of people should be like, I don't get it. And that's like exactly when you know that you have a good audience who does get it. Your personal brand sits between how you view yourself and how the world views you. Uh, Most people will focus on the external and go, okay, what do I need to be posting on TikTok? We need to figure out who you are. What makes you tick? What are you passionate about? And once we start to figure that out, then we can utilize these external tools to take you there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Jordan Rogers, and we are talking all things NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. Jordan comes from a 15-year career marketing at Nike and then decided, you know what? I want to go off on my own. There's this new space in college athletics. I'm interested. I have something I can contribute. I can help the athletes. And so I got to learn a ton about name, image, and likeness because when I went to college on a scholarship for volleyball, I ended up paying to play after my second season. So what happened is in order for me to pay my other bills, not just, okay, school, board, and books, which was great. And the only reason I could personally go to college, I started, I had the opportunity to work in fashion, but you're not allowed um, only during legal holidays to work and make money when you are on scholarship. So I'd work in the summer or I could work on Thanksgiving day, things like that. Well, after my sophomore season, I gave up my scholarship and paid to play for my my last two years. Well, now athletes coming out of high school can get money not only to attend the university, so you get a scholarship and separate coming from a nonprofit, it's very kind of nuanced and technical. They'll pay the athlete to come to the university. And then on top of that, They can do separate deals for name, image, and likeness. So now athletes not only have huge upside opportunities, 
but also so many more things to navigate. And Jordan really helps kind of lay out the land and not only what people should be looking out for, but how do I best market myself? How do I best brand myself? Because that's not just unique to athletes. I think in this day and age with social media, all of us are actually having to kind of brand ourselves and figure out how to be a brand. And he also shares like, what are the questions to ask yourself? So as an athlete, where you should go and what are the sort of top eight, 10 questions you ask to navigate those questions, but also figure out who you are and how to brand yourself. I think as a parent, so if you have a high school athlete or someone in college already, this can be an incredibly helpful conversation. So I hope you enjoy this podcast with Jordan Rogers. Jordan Rogers, welcome to my home. Thank you Thank for you coming. Thank you so much for having me. There's no place better than getting off an airplane and coming out here. It's incredible. It is. It's, well, just to be in nature. Mm. Um, the last time I saw you, we were in a football stadium in yes. Tallahassee. Yep. And just before everything fell apart for your dear, dear alma mater. Yeah, I wonder, is it because their schedule wasn't as hard as everybody else's that they didn't get that that play, the fact that they were undefeated? What do you think that was? Um, there's a... A simple answer and a hard answer. The simple answer is their quarterback got injured a week or two after we saw him. So we saw him when they were playing Miami, and they were just world beaters. They looked amazing, and they were a hands-down favorite for the Final Four. And then their quarterback, who was a Heisman candidate, uh, Jordan Travis, went down, and that and they really struggled. Like most teams will struggle when your star quarterback goes down. Right. And they struggled for a couple of weeks. We can't disconnect the fact that college football is now a real entertainment product. And so ESPN pays half a billion dollars per year to broadcast those, the final four. Yeah. And uh, they do not, they had a really bad scenario last year where mm-hmm. Georgia destroyed TCU 63 to three or something. And they were not going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. So they could, they didn't, they justified keeping Florida State out by basically looking at the two weeks without Jordan Travis and saying, this team will get slaughtered by yep. Georgia or Texas or Alabama. And, you know, they probably would have, but yeah. that goes against like the competitor nature of so many people who are like, give us a chance. Yeah. And I think in a way you're just talking about the business of sport. Yes. And that's why I am really excited to talk to you about this because so when I played volleyball at Florida State, mm-hmm. I went on a scholarship. Mm-hmm. I am a direct line result of Title IX. I was born in 1970 when Title IX was passed. I went to college in 1987. So an entire generation, I went to school on a scholarship. But because I was sort of flying solo after my freshman year during summer, so legal holidays during a competitive or college schedule. So legal holiday would be Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, or summer. Mm -hmm. I started working in New York and modeling because I was going to pay my bills, yeah. my other bills. Yeah. And so my sophomore year, when I went back to school, I went to, I went to school, I competed. We went to the NCAA tournaments. Other coaches were like, how is she working, making money? So after my sophomore year, I gave up my, I paid to play. No way. Yeah. Did you pay with your modeling yeah. fund? Your, yeah. Oh, wow. So you're so, making enough that it, you just, it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so what's interesting is my coach, Cecil Renaud, who you met, uh, she helped me navigate the next two and a half years of, of, I got out of spring training. I would live in New York. I would go to summer school, jam up on credits, be eligible to play. And our deal was when I'm there from August to December for my season, you don't take any jobs. Yep. 
I would give up jobs at 19 years old or 18 year olds, $30,000 yeah. for an ad campaign or whatever. Yeah. So that was so that I, because then it was supposed to be amateur sports. Yes. You, you don't, you're not on scholarship. You're not allowed to make money this way because yeah. also right before me, it was like Florida state's a big football school. Obviously yeah. they'd be like, Oh son, I put, I went when Dion went, can you go, you can water the lawn yeah. and here's $7,000, yeah. you know? Yeah. So they were finding ways. Always. So they kept tightening it up. Yep. Right. So I wow. paid to play. I know. Isn't that funny? What a fascinating. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So fast forward to where are we at? Two years for name, image, and likeness? Well, uh, coming up on three. But yeah, we're very in the early days. Yes. Right. So for people who don't know, now not only do you have college students who can be compensated for the use or promote, they can promote products on their instance and social media and be used by companies in promotion. Yes. And be paid, but also, and this part confuses me, how the universities can also sort of, so the we'll give you a universities scholarship. Cannot, oh, sorry, keep going. No, so they, give, they can give you a scholarship, but somehow there's these nonprofits or these yes. other things. NIL collectives. Yes, that mm -hmm. can pay or, uh, yeah, pay yeah. an athlete to be like, <laughs> before you even make an NIL deal, yes. on top of your scholarship, yes. you will receive X funds. Absolutely. Well, Yes. I would have killed it if oh, I was 18 Gabby, now. You but would maybe be, not. But look, maybe they're not. not funding a lot of women's sports, but they would have loved to, they would have loved to have you. Uh, you would have crushed an NIL and you could have but made, the, you could have bet you eventually went on to sign with Nike. I did. Uh, but you could have signed with Nike outside of that. I know. And, you know, you, you probably would have been in priority. And so. Um, so for people who don't know, they, yeah. we have this now. And I have to say, going to school with a, a huge group of athletes, I didn't come. I had no, like I said, I had to work to take care of myself. Yeah. So you saw athletes that got there. But in a way, I always say to people, if you had to do your laundry or go to the movies, you didn't, unless your parents were sending you money, a lot of athletes, it's tough. And yes. it is a full-time job. Yes. People do not realize the amount of work and pressure and everything that it takes to be, especially at these high-level schools, Oh my gosh. a college athlete. People have no idea. And I mean, you could tell it better than I can, but I've just worked really closely with a lot of them. I mean, they're jammed 16 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I want people to note, like it should be noted that this is largely a conversation around men's football and men's basketball, mm -hmm. primarily. Now, when we're talking about name, image, and likeness as it's intended, the women are actually crushing. Sure. Because they're much better at social media, they're more willing to be vulnerable, they're not they're not banking their future on a pro contract, regardless of what the likelihood of that is or not. Uh, and so there's a lot of factors that are fueling um, the young women from doing really well. Um, but, you know, for people who don't know, name, image, and likeness, I think a lot of people don't understand what a watershed moment this is because it seems like it should just be normal. Like you shouldn't have had to jump through all those hoops to go make money off of your image likeness, mm -hmm. your name back then. But we have this, I would call it the sham of amateurism. I mean, amateurism, I don't, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about with a lot of people. Again, I'm going to be talking about basically what I would argue are professional sports that have been masquerading as uh, college sports for a long time. And you know, the game we were at is a prime example of that. It's a giant stadium on a Saturday. It's sold out. There were Coca-Cola. We were in a suite with very fancy people who were flying through and Coca-Cola is paying millions of dollars to 
potentially sponsor that stadium, that school, have partnerships. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't blame anyone for that. There are well-compensated executives, coaches, uh, all kinds of people making money, except for the ones that we were most interested in and the ones that we all showed up for, which mm-hmm. were the players on the field. Right. A couple of years ago, the NCAA got taken to uh, task. They've been taken to court quite a lot. Uh, especially recently, and they've they've taken before and they've defeated, but it started to the, the the blocks have started to crumble. There were a couple of things. There was one in 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 California that Governor Newsom passed, which basically made it a state law, and then everybody else had to like trickle. The Supreme Court also struck down one. I believe it's the Alston case. They voted nine to nothing that uh, the NCAA was basically running a cartel that was. Uh, it is in, they're an antitrust violation, yeah. which is what they're petitioning the uh, Congress for right now is to give them an antitrust exemption, which is basically just saying, well, the cat's out of the bag, though. Yes. I mean, I think it's done. Bag. So if somebody so thinking of name, image and likeness yeah. and what people have to understand is and I don't know if the statistics slightly higher in, in football, one percent of athletes in college will play professional sports. Yeah. And if you are a female athlete, unless you're a tennis player, and most tennis players that are going to make a real living don't go to college. Don't go to college, right. So typically, those jobs actually, for example, LSU women's basketball players are making more than the WNBA players. Yes. Which is... <laughs> Wild. Yes. So, but typically, this could be for most <clears throat> athletes yep. a time to make some money. Yes. And then for the you know, maybe the one or 2%, it's a nice bump before they go to the big game. Yes. Or it's a good opportunity for them to earn something while they can matriculate and mature before making the jump into the pros. Mm. So you're seeing a lot of basketball players who LSU women's uh, team is a great example, you know, won a national championship last year. Angel Reese, Flage, Haley Van Lith has joined them now from Louisville. But like, you know, all of them probably could have gone to the league. They have a bigger opportunity that they can earn while at LSU. Now, your ability to earn off your name, image, and likeness does not change when you go to the WNBA. But while you're in Baton Rouge, they have a massive fan base who is mm-hmm. rabid, and they have Kim Mulkey as their coach. And so in case we just haven't defined, you know, for some people, you can earn money off of promoting things and off of recognizability. The distinction that we're making here and where it gets really tripped up and what you were mentioning with the schools is they're not allowed, they're still not allowed to be paid to play. So they can be paid for their image and likeness, but they can't be paid to play. Now, you know, collectives, <laughs> I just love, first of all, I'm an entrepreneur in the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. And so I got to tell you, when I filed for an LLC, and you know all this I, I became really patriotic i'm very grateful to live in america mm-hmm. i'm 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 grateful for the free market uh it it, it is a it's an interesting experience for me so i actually love seeing i also appreciate creativity and the free market will get creative mm-hmm. when and, and to me again this is yet another reinforcement of where the demand is so this demand has been there forever like you said you were at fsu with players like dion they were getting paid you know there's yeah. all, it's it's been happening for years and years and years. They've been getting paid. Now we just have a legal way, a legal loophole, essentially. Right. So what they do is they create, and all of them are different. There are many collectives who are doing great things. They are serving players. They are doing non- nonprofit work. They are helping players build their brands. So we just need to say that. But generally speaking, mm-hmm. they are set up in order to be the salary cap manager of a primarily men's football and or men's basketball team, and sometimes women's basketball as well. Mm-hmm. 
generally not for the other female sports yet. Yeah. Well, gymnast they've got some women in gymnastics. Yep. Probably. And basketball that have done well, obviously. But yes. Well, but I would actually some of them are probably being paid by the collective. Most of them, like your Lady oh, Dunn's NIL. of the world, they're being paid through NIL. Got it. So oh, it's that's like interesting. These, yeah. Are so, there people so, making from the collective and not making from NIL? Just out of absolutely. Carousel? Really, most football players, I would I would tell you on and again for your Power Five top thirty programs, for your Power Five uh, men's basketball top twenty programs, mm -hmm. they're absolutely making a vast majority of the money through the NIL collective. Uh, so I'll give you an example: a quarterback. Quarterback's probably not the best example, but well, like, yeah. Because quarterbacks are making quarterbacks are making a lot of money. So from their collective, like the going rate right now on the transfer portal, that's the other thing is there's this transfer portal in American football uh, that it basically now allows for free agency every year. So mm -hmm. if we have perpetual free agency, so you can imagine like when LeBron James becomes a free agent, everybody starts tracking planes and doing all this stuff. Now that happens every year in college football. So it's constant. Um, you know, soliciting and, and recruiting and you not only have to recruit players and it used to be the old model is like you recruit a player, you keep them for four or five years yeah. and then, um, you know, they go on to the pros or they graduate and they go to work a real job now. Uh, sorry, not a real job, but yeah. do you know what I mean? In I the do. Workforce. Um, but if you transferred in my day, you yeah. had to sit. Yeah, you were done. You, you had to sit for one you and it was sit. like, you better be sure. Yeah. So people don't realize this portal is also a big deal because it, 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 it creates a lot of movement. So just from a technical point, I'm wondering what you think about from sport performance. Because mm -hmm. I was talking earlier to the boys about people, first of all, football and basketball, especially football, this is a complicated sport. And every coach and offense and defense has their systems. Yep. And then you're switching and moving. And then all of a sudden you're going to learn a new system. It's a new thing. Chemistry is a real thing. Yep. So do you, I'm curious if you think it's going to make the game more competitive and better and faster, or is it going to impact the level and also the fan base? Because yeah. the big thing about college sports, the power of college sports is that's my team. Yes. And has been for 30 years, yeah. right? You've, you've been uh, probably going to Florida State games now for 30 years or whatever. But Yeah, when I can 20, get there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> But, but do uh, you think that's gonna up the game, the level of the game, or is it going? Is it a distraction? Like I'm just curious on your instinct. I think both. Uh, first is everybody thinks everybody. You know, you hear all the crowd that's like NIL is killing college sports. No, no, no. college sports is is bigger and better than ever. They broke every ratings record this last year. Um, I would argue. I would actually argue. So one of my big complaints about college football, particularly, was when the season starts. There's really only. Four four to five teams who can actually win. I think in the last 12 years, there's five programs who've won. Mm -hmm. Alabama, Georgia, Florida State had one year with mm -hmm. Jameis. Um, Clemson has won a couple times. And uh, we just had Michigan. But like, these are your powerhouse blue blood. And everybody's like, oh, it it it, it makes the haves have and the have nots have not. Well, guess what? it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. It has. You know, I guess when when they were recruiting you to Florida State, I bet you there were smaller programs who recruited you. They didn't have a chance. No. When you go see all the facilities that Florida State has or yeah, it's whoever, sexy. Texas, whatever. Yeah, it's, yep. it's a sexy thing. So, totally. So, so that think, was the old way of mm -hmm. like amassing firepower. Now they're just amassing dollars to be able to put in the player's pocket. So uh, I do want to answer your question earlier. The 
men's football and men's basketball players, most of them are making a way majority of their money through the collective, basically getting a salary to play. But they are not allowed to be paid to play. So the, the contracts are set up to, we are going to promote you. So we're going to shut up this sort of shell company. Mm -hmm. It's called a collective. Then we're going to pay you to promote this company. Uh, we put money in your pocket. You are not allowed to earn, but you have to do something for that money. So back then they would water grass and get paid $7,000 or they would wash a car or greet people at the local car dealership yeah, and then safe. suddenly get a get a car for really cheap or get paid a lot for that summer internship that they didn't really have to show up for. Mm -hmm. Now we can just be on the front of, like they can show up to an ice cream social, they post some, uh, terribly invaluable social media posts. Um, they can go to a I, you know, a luncheon, they can show up to a dinner party, they can go to a booster's birthday party and get paid, I don't know, quarter million dollars for the year. You know, they have to do something kind of once a month, but it's generally check off the box stuff so that they can pay them to play. Because the the real issue in all of this college sports is that the the value to uh, the value that these players bring is to the university number one, who still is skirting that they don't have, they're not paying, they're not through the collective. They're not paying out of their own pocket for these players to come. The television networks who are making a ton of money mm -hmm. and paying a ton of money, they're not sharing in any of the, um, you know, revenue generation with the players either. And so- Well, you also know about scholarships. I didn't know this. I When I went back to Florida State to help raise money for the women's program, mm -hmm. every year they have to start over or do a three-year program where they're, they are raising money for scholarships. The university does not mm -hmm. contribute to that. And I think that's another thing. I didn't know that. I thought it was sort of like, oh, and from that pie of like TV revenues, then we put that towards scholarships. Mm -hmm. They don't. Right. They fundraise- for this for that for the scholarships yeah. so do they take their taxes out this is what I, i'm so obsessed with the Players. tax part i don't yeah. because i can just see at the end of this totally. going like hey son yeah good job but yeah. guess what now you're in the hole for 200 grand Mo do yes. we know in this collective is it how does that work even from a technical point uh you would like to think that most of these collectives are hand-holding these athletes a lot of the universities to their credit which is um you know, probably hurt my business a little bit. My my business, I set out to basically do keynote speaking. I'm in basically player development. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, I see a lot of players who have a lot of people around them from the time they started like 13 year old. And, and, and everyone has a dog in the hunt of something. So either, you know, the every coach who comes to recruit them wants them to come to their school, regardless of whether it's the best for the athlete. Their agent wants something, uh, you know, needs to get the highest dollar amount for some marketing contract, regardless of whether it's the good, the right thing or not for their brand or their long term health, um, because the agents incentivized by sheer dollar amount. So that always seemed is like a, a is a high school athlete allowed to have an agent in 36. Uh, so oh, there's the two, two agents, marketing agent and then a contract agent. Okay. So they're not allowed to have a contract agent until they declare that they're pro. But right now, the marketing agent is basically the one who's able to get them NIL deals and all that. So, But a sophomore in high school could have a marketing agent? Um, in 36 states right now. Okay, and if the collective pays the kid their freshman, sophomore year, does anyone get a cut of that? Um, if they have an agent negotiating for them, potentially, they would get a percentage of that deal in helping them negotiate it. 
And everybody's still trying to figure out where is this. So that's technically the collective yeah. is an endorsement contract. Mm -hmm. And the industry standard percentage that you would take on that is 20%. But a but we kind of know it's a contract. It's a it's a contract for playing, which that industry standard, particularly in football and in basketball, is like three to one to three percent. Right. Right. So you would like to think your your marketing agents are finding that middle ground because it is still an endorsement contract. And so I do see real value for families having someone who knows what they're doing to go, hey, hey, hey hold on. We're not going to do, you know, whatever or we're not signing over their likeness into perpetuity. Uh, there's all kinds of weird things that people well, so, try to do. Yeah. Yeah. So talk so about that for a help. second, because mm -hmm. people, I always joke when, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Yes. And sometimes I'll even go and Laird's doing an interview and they'll have a release. And yeah. I'm always, I, I usually I'm like, send the release before. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get there because I'll totally. show up with a Sharpie and just yep. black everything out. And I go, is there words like known and unknown or in perpetuity in this? Otherwise, you know, yeah. just rewrite it. So for people listening, sometimes they will slip these things in. Uh, in a word salad and say, oh, in perpetuity and for for companies known and unknown, yeah. which means we can use this mm -hmm. now for what we're talking about and maybe in the future with something we don't know. And that's very, very common, even in professional levels of sport and, yeah. and other. But the thing I, I, I'm curious about is, let's say you have a talented uh, quarterback. Mm -hmm. He gets paid a ton of money. After sophomore year, he the coach gets fired. He's like, I don't want to be here. He came with me, and yeah. I'm going to go in the portal. I'm going to go. Now, what if he has a signed yeah. deal? What happens with his responsibilities or commitment to- To the collective. Yeah. Or so, to what if he does every uh, name, image, and likeness relationship- end every year like how does that how Mo do those work yeah most of them are doing like one-year deals okay. right now um given the nature of the business but theoretically they're see they're not allowed and this is where everybody gets confused because like <clears throat> if we're just speaking in plain english they're being paid to play football there yeah. at, at that school very specifically right. but they're not allowed to put that in the contract and so they have to get creative by saying um you know you need to live in a zip code within you yeah. know 20 miles from here or something or all of the endorsement agreements and the things that they've agreed to carry out, they would basically just have to go back to that geographical location and carry it out. Now, I think both the collective and the athlete, I mean, the athlete needs to be able to live up to that and be prepared to basically call their bluff and be like, okay, I'll show up to do an autograph signing, but are you gonna do it for a fan base that's like, yeah, you left and pissed played now, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't want you there? Like, is that yeah. gonna be good for the collective? And so, Ideally, you would like to think that they could negotiate a, a buy. I mean, theoretically, they're one-year deals. So if you were making a suggestion, because also I'd like to simultaneously kind of build in your suggestions from what you've seen, because this mm -hmm. is so new. If it was you, it's like, hey, keep everything to a, a year. Mm -hmm. Even It's so funny because as an I'm being on the other side, right? Like on my renewals with Nike, it's like you never wanted a five-year deal. You wanted you wanted three because you understood right. they the company needs more than two because yes. they've invested in you. Yep. But you want to have wiggle room because if you start growing and totally. expanding and getting better, exactly. then you want to be able to renew so, you know, totally. sooner than five years. Yep. So you always are living between these conversations. Yep. But this is a year if you're dealing with college. Yes. Let, let's are we calling college pro now or amateur? Well, it's college. Yeah, let's call it college. Let's just call it college. Okay. Yep. So you'd say, okay, one year coming in. Now, what if you have high school kid? Mm. He's a senior. Right. The collective, I get that. They can pay him because he's going there. Sure. But when they get approached, maybe they know, hey, this kid is going to actually play. They're not even going to redshirt. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have a suggestion about how a family would navigate helping a kid figure out how to deal with all this? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I'm super sympathetic. I mean, it's why I'm in this business. It's why like working for Nike for uh, 15 total years, uh, over 10 years in brand marketing, I worked really closely with a lot of high profile. I worked from every level. So I started in like grassroots American football mm -hmm. in Texas. And I'm sorry that I always say American football at Nike. We had global football, yeah, which of course. soccer, soccer. And American yeah. football. So um, to anybody that sounds weird, I apologize. Um, and I saw like these ninth graders. I mean, there were whole whole companies like Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, just competing to try to get to these kids. They wanted the best athletes wearing their stuff. They wanted all this stuff. So I was a part of this. Like, and I don't think there's an, anything inherently wrong with that. Again, like Gatorade wanting to be or or mm -hmm. it, or any school wanting these athletes. But I saw like, you know, fifteen year old kids with single moms working two jobs yeah. and trying to raise their siblings. And you have like all of these people flying in from all over. They literally have trunks of letters, like, and all these brands are coming after them and all these little like street agents and everything. And it was like, it's really overwhelming. Um, in my own very, very not comparable, but like I, you know, I create on Instagram and mm -hmm. like my Instagram has been going crazy over the last couple of months and I'm getting a lot of opportunity coming my way. And it's a lot, I'm, I'm a grown man, I'm over 40, I'm like, and, and I'm literally, it feels I'm like, nice to be wanted. It, it does. And I know how fleeting it is. So um, I'm not trying to, I'm trying not to take it for granted. And I'm trying to be gracious about some of these things. And I'm, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in prayer. I've been thinking about this weekend, asking my friends like, Hey, I need help like discerning some of this stuff. Cause I'm getting a lot of opportunity. And so I can only imagine me 25 years ago. And so um, my advice to them, first of all, if you're in football or basketball, uh, you're going to the, you need to base it on more things than just the cash, but the, the money needs to talk. I mean, you are a valuable commodity. Uh, and I don't know if that's a Freudian slip, but you are, you yeah. know, a commodity to that university and that college. And if they want you bad enough, they will pay up. And so they're not allowed to say, we're going to pay you this. They speak in very general terms and say for a quarterback of your ranking, if you were to commit to us, you would be able, you could expect to earn something like mm -hmm. $1.2 million. And let me introduce you to Ray, is who, that, is who runs our collective. Year? Is that for one year? Yes. So uh, uh, a fresh, uh, sorry, that would be like your transfer quarterback. Yeah, sure. No, I get but it. But a five-star, like, yeah. they're what? they're make, they're going to be there 300000 So Jordan Travis, let's go back to Florida State. Jordan Travis. <sighs> Whoa, yeah. Uh, Didn't he get hurt, too? He got hurt. <laughs> yeah. He's so like, the hit 1.2 million or something. He probably got, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he was getting paid. Probably about a million dollars. Um the last 15 seconds of that game or something. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> but look God. at the hit that Florida State took. So I did some oh, math on a video I did. Mm. Um Florida State, if they had made it to the CFP, they would get X number millions of dollars. The amount of fan licensed gear, the amount of people traveling to bowl games, the amount of money they get from ESPN, the amount of money they get from the CFP. Are you telling me Jordan Travis is not worth $1 million multiple on that? Yeah. And people, you could argue the same thing. Like Patrick Mahomes is worth, there's a salary cap in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes probably makes $60 million now, maybe 50, whatever it is. He makes probably more than that for the Kansas City Chiefs. But like he's, that's somewhere in the ballpark mm -hmm. that he's like, the team is collectively bargained and all that. They don't have that in college. So um, 
So it's the a, money. The money, yeah, I would foremost. like. They need to be paying up. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really old fashioned here sure. for a second. Yeah. As an athlete, mm -hmm. so part of the reason that my life has gone on the trajectory it has is I went to Florida State yes. and I played for a person that helped me develop as a human being. Amen. And 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 that's for real. And yeah, I know it's really that. cheesy and women's sports is significantly different than men. So mm. I'm going to say that right off the bat. Sure. Are we going to get canceled if we say that now? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy I'm to, you know, listen, did you see USA yeah. boxing just yeah. Okay. Oh, no. yeah. yeah. It's fine. We'll, we'll, no, I'm, I'm fine with that. Women's and men's sports are different, particularly in college. Yeah. It just is. Sure. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, I'm a realist. Yes. So anyway, so I, uh, I, and I wanted to be on a good team. Yes. I wanted to win. Yes. And of course, all of this is about winning. Totally. So obviously what you're talking about is programs that are trying to win. So that's probably understood. Yes. But for development, Yes. Not only as a person, but some of these athletes could be significantly better yep. or worse based on the program that they go to, totally. period. Like you could go to a program that helps you realize your potential or a program that kills you. You hate the game. You hate the coach. You don't play well in there, you know, Absolutely. the way that they play and, you know, or they switch your positions or whatever they do. So all I'm saying is if you have these kids making these decisions, okay, the money should talk, but do you think it's still valuable to go where do you want to live absolutely what kind of person do you want to coach do you want a absolutely. hard nosed coach do you totally. want to like do you do you think this is still important absolutely um and i stopped there because that's the big topic but all of the traditional decisions that you would make then also should come into play mm -hmm. and so like again to the to the jordan travis we could we could extend that argument though and go okay jordan travis let's say he made a million dollars and he could earn florida state and he was on that world stage had he gone to um i, I don't know let's call it louisville and they maybe they paid him 1.5 million dollars but they lost five games because he had no offensive line uh the you know mm -hmm. they didn't make it to the bowl game so no one knows who jordan travis's name is we know that name because he was so good. He played for Mike Norvell, who's a great coach, who's a, a leader of men and brought them up and all this great stuff. And so all of those things need to be factored because you could make $2 million and be done next year. Or you could make 500 over the course of four years, go on to be a first round draft pick in the NFL. And these are all very mm -hmm. hard decisions. Like you just said, you were factoring three years versus five years and all that. Um, and, and some people, I think, try to infantilize these young men and women and be like, oh, they shouldn't have to make decisions like that. Well, this is the real world. And we all have to make tough decisions sometime. And there's no other industry in the world, or particularly in the United States of America, first of all, that we restrict people from making these tough decisions. Mm -hmm. So when Billie Eilish can make a great album, nobody goes, oh, she's 16. No, she, mm -mm. she can't be able to earn anything off her voice. Yeah. It's ridiculous. That's so stupid. Well, and they don't realize too your chances of injury. There's all kinds of things that play into whether you totally. can make money. Now, uh, let's say you have a 20 year old running back, mm -hmm. and they're good mm -hmm. in Division One. Like mm -hmm. they can, they're producing numbers. They're successful. They're on a bowl game, you know, on a bowl team, whatever. Yeah. They're just not quite fast or big enough to play in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Pretty common. Yeah, very common. So you got a kid who he's making 500 a year yep. in college. Yes. Game over though. He's not really going to, he just doesn't, that's a whole other jump. Yes. When you're talking about going in, into the pros, especially of the NBA or the NFL, it mm -hmm. is, these are different genetic. Very different. 
and mental people. Yes. The level. What about them? Because that's the majority. Totally. Do you, I worry, it's not that I worry. It's like, I'm not everybody's mother, but it's like, is this, was this better for their life that they got this money? Mm-hmm. Because are they saving it? Are they spending it and getting a car and getting some jewelry and hanging and giving it to their cousin sure. and buying their mom a house? Your maximum earning time of your life is when you're 20, 21 years old. And yes. now you're supposed to go out into the real world. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend of mine who also was a professional female athlete. And she's mm-hmm. like, but they should give them a business. You know, they should take a business class and they should, yeah. um, you know, teach them. I go, should. Yeah. Most of them are coming from single family homes trying mm-hmm. to pull it. I'm wondering from your point of view in the long run, because this is going to be the majority of the athletes. Yes. Is it going to be better for them or yeah. is it going to be something also very hard to navigate for the rest of their adult life? Well, I would much rather be that running back who could make, he could stay five years. We have players who have stayed six years on with COVID eligibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I would much rather a running back be able to make $3 million over six years and be able to set himself up for his future because he's going to leave. He's going to have multiple concussions. He's going to have broken knees. His mm-hmm. body's in a car rack every Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so he could either go out into the world with that college athlete schedule where he's not getting a degree. The degree that that most people go, oh, they're getting a free education. This is not the same degree that you with your fraternity and I'm uh, not, not you, yeah. but this theoretical yeah. the people who are always in my comments and who are like, <laughs> oh, they get free education. Like, first of all, it's not free. They're working yeah. around the clock. Yeah, they are. It's not the same degree when you got to pick your major and work with an advisor and take extracurricular activities and do all this stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking to athletes who are like, well, I wanted to be in PR, but my sports schedule, and this is men's and women's. I, I, I talked with a young female volleyball that. player who was like, she was in like genetic biology. Yeah. Wanting to be in marketing, but because her volleyball schedule wouldn't allow her to do that, yeah. they it's not an option. Uh, yeah. And I so got, I got one yeah, for you. I know sure. a volleyball player that is going to have to quit her senior year so she can go to her major. Yeah. She's exactly. not going to be able to play. Totally. Because she isn't. And it's a you know medical. It's something adult. Right. And yeah. yeah. So So I would rather them be able to earn money and at least have the option of like, learn how to invest money, learn how to build a business, learn how to take and steward that money. Because right now they're going to get to learn that same lesson if they make it to the pros. A lot of them won't. And then they walk out and they're, they've spent the last five years basically crushing their body, uh, working for a coach, um, doing all this stuff. And there are so many good things about college athletics. I do not want to be the one. There are so many. You've outlined them. I meet mm-hmm. athletes every day. People I work. Uh, Nike is made up of former college athletes who like 100%. didn't go pro. So college mm-hmm. athletics can do so many great things. Um, but in these basically semi-pro leagues that we've created, it they they need to be compensated for that. And so I think, yes, I would rather them be able to earn that money. Is the school putting anything in place to help at least protect them from getting them into a bad financial situation? So if you get a kid who's getting 500 grand, Mm -hmm. is there any, is it, here's all the money at once and it's on you to worry about your taxes and good luck, son, or how does, what, what are we seeing there? Yeah. So I actually started to say this earlier. I got sidetracked. So my business is I go and I teach personal branding and player development to college teams. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was doing down in Florida State when we met. 
um, that I'll be in Georgia next week uh, working with them uh, across multiple different teams. And so the people who lead NIL, the universities in general, whether it's the NIL department, player development, whatever, are seeing after this. And so I teach personal branding and how to, um, you know, identify your story, how to identify where you want to serve, how you can um, work with companies potentially, how you understand who you are and what you want out of this experience. Because so many of them are not ever even asking that until it's too late. So that's what I have a real passion for. Uh, sometimes I, I get moved down the list though, because first they want, they have to bring in like tax professionals. Yeah. Then they bring in like some finance people to try to coach them up on that. They bring in legal and compliance people to try to teach them, do not sign your likeness and name, uh, away into perpetuity. So yes, I think a lot of the universities are okay. trying to do this and there are even laws I think in place for them to have to get on the books to try to provide this education whether it's to cover their butts or to help serve their athletes, probably somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, people are doing that. This podcast is brought to you by Vionic. Vionic is a shoe company that now I've owned for a few months because before I share anything with you, I try everything myself. My first pair was the Georgie Mules. And now they've got the Vionic Vitals collection, and I have a pair of those too. I have the Willa, and it's a slip-on flat. I actually traveled the other day at the airport with it. There's 12 colors to complement any outfit you have. Maybe you want a classic sneaker. They even have a Chardonnay heeled sandal. So you want heels that don't sacrifice comfort. They've got you covered, and it's a little cooler. They've got an uptown loafer, 10 shades of premium suede and leather to choose from. So you want your shoe to look good, but you want to have that confidence that it's going to feel great all day long and you're not going to suffer because initially Vionic was created by using technology inside the footwear. And now they figured out the way to combine this comfort and you've got the support, but also the most beautiful materials. And whether it's cold weather or you're traveling at the airport or you just want to kick it and go to the store, they have everything for you. And not only do they have a great offer for you today, they do offer a 30-day guarantee, wear them, love them, or return for a full refund within 30 days. So you can see like, hey, is it matching my lifestyle, my clothes? And I've gifted them to my daughters. I've used them myself. And if you would like, you can go to vionicshoes.com. That's V-I-O-N-I-C-S-H-O-E-S.com. When you log into your account, and if you put in the code Gabby at checkout, you get 15% off your entire order. That's vionicshoes.com. And don't forget to put the code in Gabby for 15% off your entire order when you log into your account for a one-time use only. This podcast is brought to you by Ketone IQ, which is made by a company called HVMN, which stands for Health via modern nutrition. And I have been taking this product for years and years. When HVMM first came up, you know, ketones was a big thing. It's like, hey, how do I get more ketones in my bloodstream? I want to fuel my brain, things like that. Well, now I got reintroduced to it because the Ketone IQ product is so easy to use. It's in a little single serve bottle. I can have it in my purse. I can have it in my gym bag. Well, first of all, what is Ketone IQ? Ketone IQ is brain fuel. It's a clean energy boost without sugar or caffeine. Really important because I, of course, there's things that I want to do in the afternoon. Maybe I feel a little sluggish, whether it's physically or mentally, like I'm going to do a podcast or I need to have a late workout 
and I don't want to crush my sleep. So it's not a stimulant. And this gives you this just really clean boost of energy to my brain and body because it's fueled by ketones, that kind of calm flow state of energy. I love how they've made it just in these little single serves. I can store them anywhere. And you can find Ketone IQ at your local Sprouts nationwide, or they have a great offer for you. If you'd like to save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ, all you have to do is go to hvmn.com slash Gabby. Again, to save 30% off your first subscription order, of Ketone IQ, you go to hvmn.com slash Gabby. This podcast is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison. And I was given this product first by a friend as a gift. It was a thank you gift from a friend of ours from Maui. And this beautiful box shows up at my door and lo and behold, Maui Nui Venison. And today I get to share it with you. They have a wonderful offer because I know that we are all looking for the highest quality meat that we can not only eat ourselves, but feed our families and feel good about it. Well, Maui Nui Venison checks all the boxes. It's responsible. It is the only stress-free, 100% wild harvested meat on the market. And it takes all the resistance out because they will mail it to you right to your doorway. It is nutrient dense. There are studies because of what these animals are eating, this volcanic rich soils, remarkable plant diversity. Maui Nui Venison is some of the highest protein per calorie. It's delicious. You don't have to do anything different. You can cook it like you cook all your other meat. It's not gamey or weird. Nobody's going to be like, oh, what is this? It's so easy to use. And I really appreciate the fact that they even have snacks and broths. So whatever your need, all you have to do is go to MauiNuiVenison.com slash Gabby. And they will give you 20% off your first order by going to MauiNuiVenison.com slash Gabby. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-V-E-N-I-S-O-N.com slash Gabby to get 20% off your first order. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market. I love Thrive Market because it's my go-to for all groceries and household essentials. They make it so convenient, everything getting right to my door, quickly shipped to my doorstep. And not only is it a huge time saver, but also it's a huge cost saver. I save probably close to 30% each time. And the other thing I love about Thrive Market is it carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. I know it's the new year and we're all saying, hey, we want to do better. One of the easiest ways is if you can't, if you don't have it in your house, you won't eat it. And these guys restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. And I can use their on-site filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So really important if you've got someone in your house, maybe they've got allergies or you're trying to avoid certain chemicals in your cleaners, whatever it is, maybe, you know, organic kids snacks or low sugar, you know, items, gluten-free pantry essentials, whatever it is, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. They make it very easy. You can maneuver it. It's so simple, save money. And the other thing is when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give. They have a great offer for you. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash Gabby for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's thrivemarket.com slash Gabby, T-H-R-I-V-E-M-A-R-K-E-T.com slash Gabby. 
This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I personally have been taking their Essential for Women 18 plus multivitamin since the pandemic began. I was just looking for a really great multivitamin and I love the fact that it has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Because for me, if you're going to, and if I'm going to share it with you, put your resources, whether it's your time or money towards something, you want to know, hey, not only do they have best practices, but this is actually going to do something for me. And 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet. It's hard to do. And I like to get as much as I can from my diet, but that is why I take a multivitamin. And Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. The other thing is they take nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. So I think one of the things is, is like, oh, is it an empty stomach? Is it a full stomach? Well, because they, the way that they've done these capital, capsules, it's dental on an empty stomach. And at the end, you get this nice little minty essence in every bottle. So for a lot of people, sometimes these are the things that keep them from taking multis and making it easy and being able to enjoy it, whether it's timing or I don't like the after burps. And the other thing about it is ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, and they are certified B Corp. And like I said earlier, everything is made traceable and they have a wonderful offer for you today. So all you have to do, you don't have any more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You'll get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start your ritual, or you can add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Gabby for 25% off. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I kick myself that I haven't spent more time learning whatever language it is in the place that I'm visiting. It's like you want to connect with the people in a real way. Well, immersion, you know, that's the best way. But most of us can't move somewhere and, and you know live there and learn the language, even though that's number one. But number two is with Babbel. And the reason that is, is first of all, they have, it's really quick. They've got 10-minute lessons, and but they're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. But what I love about it is it's designed by real people for real conversations. It's like, listen, we all want to know like, Talk about food and directions and things like that. And Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. And that's the other thing I love is just combining that because you think, okay, maybe using a trip that you have planned or getting together with family somewhere, using that as your motivation to get going. And you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that maybe don't really even help you, you know, speak a new language. In fact, studies show, there was one study, they did studies at Yale, Michigan State, that Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours, that's nothing, is equivalent to a full semester at college. They've got over 16 million subscribers sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. So here's the incredible offer for a special limited-time deal for our listeners right now, you can get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash Gabby. So to get 50% off 
at babbel.com slash Gabby. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. Let's talk about authenticity. So you you talk a lot about when you talk about marketing and, and I want to, we'll get into your background a little bit, which is really helpful and interesting mm. on this, but you talk about authenticity and I, as somebody who, again, and I'm, I came from kind of building the road as I went, I just mm-hmm. followed my gut and yeah. thought, oh, that feels good. That doesn't feel good. And just pushed yeah. along and good timing, lucky. Mm-hmm. Let's not kid ourselves. Sure. I was lucky. Um, and I'm married to somebody who's in a weird sport and somehow that worked out and, yeah. you know, it was about storytelling and all these things. Right. Cause nobody, you couldn't go and watch it. You couldn't go right. like on Sunday at three, the waves coming and we're all going to, you know, it's just like, yeah. okay, what, what do you do? That's true. So storytelling was very big. I think storytelling is big in alternative sports, as yes. you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's very, very big in women's sports. I was having a yeah. debate with the boys earlier cause they don't know this yet. Mm. They're about to learn for whatever reason. Look at them. Yeah. I believe mm-hmm. that with men, it's like, give me the stats. He's my guy. He's okay. number one. With women, who is she? Yeah. We're different. And w- you can say, hey, I don't like that. But even the girls at LSU basketball, part of the reason that they are crushing it besides being champions and being great basketball players is mm-hmm. it's their story, mm-hmm. right? One's an artist. One does this. And for men, it's not quite the same. Right. So you, so you, so you have kind of this whole idea. So when you, when I hear this idea of like being authentic, it's so tricky because to consciously be authentic almost loses authenticity, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So when you talk to your athletes, is Mm -hmm. it this idea of, Hey, just because this guy over here, because it's hard for women when, if you go on social media, the girl who shows her button boobs mm-hmm. has a gazillion followers. The girl yeah. who's really smart and going, let's save the animals, yeah. has 50,000 followers. Sure. So you say, no, let's be authentic, mm-hmm. right? And so it's so hard to not get tempted totally. to do the thing that gets you attention. Absolutely. But the long-term success, I think, actually comes from what you're saying, which is, who am I? Yes. And how do I find that voice? So if I'm an 18-year-old mm-hmm. and I've probably spent most of my time doing the sport. Absolutely. How do I, what are the questions I ask myself to go, wow, what, how would I, Right. how do I want to be perceived? What do I want to represent? The, the challenge I give athletes is like, it's, it's really hard. And I even flinch kind of saying it to them is like, can your sport be the least interesting thing about you? And it is like, it hits like a ton of bricks because I watch it right now. I'm a seven-year-old son. And you can already see, you know, like when they have athletic, all of us, we have this weird DNA thing, you know, if they show any, you know, talent or whatever, you're like, oh my gosh, the future messy, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and you watch people and envelop, you watch parents envelop their whole identity in their kids' uh, sports. You watch our whole culture does this. And so I'm sitting in front of, uh, you know, the places who are hiring me are these big universities who can afford it. So these are the best athletes in the world. And if you were playing anything at Florida State, I don't care, whatever, it could be water polo, it could be whatever. You have probably been a baller since you were 12 years old, you mm-hmm. know, 10. And, and my appeal to them is that, hey, you know, the first challenge of branding is to be known for anything. 
And you can ask yourself, am I unknown for the things that I want to be known for? Or am I known for other things? Or is it that a neutral? So they're known as an athlete and everyone around them in their circle is going to talk about them in the forum of an athlete, you, you know? And so it's like, ESPN, their university, their coaches, uh, their local hometown newspaper, their school, they're probably in their school's hall of fame or they get invited, their jersey got retired. It's all in the context of being an athlete. And so uh, what, what I think a lot of athletes mistake is, is that then they just feed entirely into that. So I would say, yes, I think for men, generally their male consuming audience doesn't care as much about the story but I would tell them that if they want to live on beyond the court or the field, they better get them to know their story because when you're no longer producing stats, then what are people going to care about? Mm -hmm. And uh, those stats are going to go down and they're eventually going to go away. Yeah. And they're going to be beaten or totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to so, be the, oh, you used to be that. Oh yeah. You used to you be, used to that, be yeah. that. That's my favorite. Mm -hmm. I'm like, totally. you used to be that volleyball player. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually here standing here. in front yeah. of you. Mm -hmm. I'm Can Gabby. Yeah, I'm alive. Totally. Yeah. But I used to get my back up years ago. And then I realized like, okay, who cares? But That's it's fine. people, it is really amazing. Yeah, listen to that. Weren't yeah. you, you used to be that. And and yeah. and I think it's really important for athletes because that comes a lot sooner totally. than everybody else. Yes. And so I, th I think this idea of reminding young people, mm -hmm. if you're going to do these sports, I understand because it is a ticket. Yes. Out. Yes to wherever and yeah. you might like it and love it and Absolutely. it's fun on totally. top of it totally but for a lot of us it's like hey this is kind of a really great way to forward move forward my life yes it really is and it is hard but i do like it and it's fun and all these things but that you're you yeah and one of the things you do is this sport yes you are not even laird who at almost 60 years old mm. is chasing waves he's like i am laird and one of the things i do is surf so yes. i think your point of reminding them to develop and and so it's hard to do though totally because it's like what are you supposed to, hey read a book yeah well you know it's like what totally. how do you get how do you encourage them is it to honor that sense of who you feel you are Yes. Uh, there's, there's, it's all, as, as we say, I, I, you know, one of the things I struggle with, with media, you know, I create on the internet and all that is all this stuff is so complicated, you know, it's, it's, and there's never an easy answer. Everybody wants like an easy answer. Mm -hmm. It's, it's tough, you know? And so I teach athletes first, uh, one of the first elements of a successful personal brand is to be distinct, you know? So the way then that we find what our distinction is and how we stand out is then by defining what we're good at, what we're passionate about, what our interests are, what our hobbies are. And so um, I think you're, you're such a great example of, of this. You had interest outside of volleyball, but you also then had like your own flavor in volleyball, like um, wh whether it was what you were wearing or how you wore things or what, you know, so you add like uh, we have this big funnel and it's like, how many people play volleyball? And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. how many are female who play volleyball? Okay. That's cut in half. Uh, how many, uh, play volleyball and are over six foot tall or whatever? Well, maybe a few less, yeah, not many, less, not though. many less, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it's like, how many are also models on the side, like in New York? Well, significantly. Mine fewer. was really obvious. 
I had it easy. Let's not play games. I had to work extra. Yeah. My stuff was so obvious. And I, I was like, I'm playing that card. I'm playing that card. I'm playing that card. And also I knew it was stuff that I like doing the TV and everything else. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I like that though. So I didn't mm -hmm. play the things that were obvious that I didn't like. I played the things that were obvious that also I thought, and I'm genuinely interested. Yes. And I think I can do a good job. Totally. And that's very different. So just, just that reminder to try your best because it is it's weird it's like even when i do something that i'm taking something new on it's like i take it on from a pure place of knowing and then i get strategic yes i don't strategically try to do something totally take it on because you gravitate yes. towards it then figure out well and that's what i that's what i'm basically doing so all i all i say with athletes like i'm just trying to create one hour which within that hour we're gonna have 10, 15 minutes of you to think about what it is that you want and mm -hmm. who you are, because I don't think they have much that time, you know? So like if yeah. I've blocked one hour in your 16 hour schedule of being pulled all over the place, um, you know, it's really fascinating. I've worked with a couple of like high profile football players. Even one of them like made his announcement today. And, um, one of the common themes I keep hearing from these, I'm like, why are y'all committing early? Like to me, there's there's no upside, you know, and I'm like a. What do you I'm mean? Just, like a sophomore? So like, yeah, sophomore, junior committing to their university and they're being recruited by every university on the sun. Mm -hmm. And me, given the seismic shifts that are happening in, in football, I'm like, why would you commit? Oh, they just want to. In two they years, it, that coach won't They want be. it to be done. They want it to be done. Yeah. And every single person, literally, I had spoke with this young man. He said literally from the time he was 14 years yeah. old till he was 19, every single conversation he ever had started and stopped with that. Where are you going to go? go? Oh, yeah. well, my don't go. Well, I went here. Don't go there. My did this. Where have you decided? What you do? What's the what's the list? What's yeah. it down to? You know, and so um, I'm just saying all that to say they they are pulled by so many other people. So I'm just trying to create that moment. And I think you bring up a great point. So what I'm trying to do is say, hey, stop and think. What is it that lights your heart on fire? What is it that you're really interested in? What is it that you're passionate about? When you're not playing, and it's not a bad thing to say volleyball, you probably genuinely loved volleyball. And Laird loves surfing. Like that's a whole other I know. That's well, like yes, a totally. that's like a relationship. Indeed. I'm obsessed with golf. I'm obsessed. I know you are. I'm like, <laughs> and it's actually working. I mean, so if I use a personal example right now, every time I show these athletes, I go, I have I have this slide and I have me in the middle and I have 10 interests. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I love coffee, nutrition, working out, travel, photography, golf, cars, uh, my family, my children, all these things. And I'm like, but for purposes of being strategic and communicating publicly, uh, when I'm on my social media, you're only hearing me talk about three things. One, sports business. That's what I mostly talk about. Second is criminal justice. I am passionate about it. I'm an advocate. I believe that God put me on this earth uh, in my role is to at least be a communicator between different populations for a lot of people who don't understand the criminal justice system and I having experienced it up close and personal and mm -hmm. escaped it, my role is to communicate that. And so uh, it's not gonna get the best engagement. It, nobody's, it's not never gonna go viral, uh, but it's important to me and it is meaningful and, and, and aligns to my purpose. And third, I talk about golf. Why? Again, doesn't get good engagement, doesn't get, um, you know, no one really cares, but I can't not talk about it. Right. <laughs> and now I'm actually, I, I've given that presentation like 50 times in the last 18 months, literally in the last like six weeks, Gabby, for once sports business, plus my obsession with golf 
over the last 15 years has finally the stars have aligned and come together. And you want to talk about luck? I, I'm I'm there too. I'm I'm a product of luck in a lot of ways, but we've put the places now. All of a sudden, everyone wants to talk about why Tiger Woods is leaving Nike. I, I was going to ask you about that. Are you sad about that? I, it's heartbreaking. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, it, I mean, it bums even, me out. Even though you're not at Nike anymore and, mm -hmm. and you you worked for, what, three years to get a job at Nike, was it? Four and I a mean, half. And then you you even worked at the store and yep. you were at EGOC, which is like you volunteer and do events, right? Is, I worked in at your the local? store, I volunteered, and then I became an Eakin. Eakin, sorry. Eakin's Nike spelled backwards. It's your job to know Nike backwards and forwards, brand evangelist. Yes. So you, I mean, people have to realize like you were willing to do, you know, when a they lot. say work in the mailroom, like totally. you were like, okay, I'm doing that. Literally. So now that you're not with Nike, do you wear other brands? Just curious. I do, yeah. Okay. Um, so I spent <laughs> 10 and a half years in brand marketing. Was it them. hard? <laughs> Is it hard? Uh, well, it was to start. Yeah, it was like the first time I put on some other shoes, I was like, oh my gosh, this feels like. And like, I don't mean like random, yeah. small niche, because yeah. I was saying earlier, I talked to Tinker Hatfield, who's yes. a, been a longtime friend of mine, and he did my shoe at Nike, but he would always wear these very chic niche, oh, this is a Swiss company. Oh, totally. You know, that yeah. even with Nike, he would do that. I'm talking about like, have you put on Adidas. a pair of Adidas or something, like a real, have so, you done that yet? Uh, I've put on a, an on-running shoe. Uh, I don't I know if that counts yet. I I know they're they're still sub adidas not yet i have like a fear of god you know they've collaborated with him but um adidas i did do a post i give them a lot of credit i think what's sort of happened i'm like switzerland now you know yeah. i i like to give credit where credit's due mm -hmm. and i think the industry is better when you have like healthy competition like adidas 100%. made us so much better at nike um you know i actually um I was listening to Phil Knight on a podcast, a very rare occurrence that, yeah. that he had recently. And he talked about how they were getting their butts kicked by Reebok. And they did this. His favorite campaign was a revolution campaign. And um, uh, it, it, it's like that they needed Reebok to like be competing heavy. To push them, yeah. And they're getting beat right now and like running. You well, know, it ebbs and flows. It ebbs know? and flows. So like, it guess does. what? Generally speaking, they the, that you awaken that sleeping giant, they will come... You know. So Tiger was already at Nike when you went there, right? Oh, yes. He, okay. Yeah, he was so there. So he's there. It doesn't make sense for their business mm -hmm. anymore. It's for whatever the million reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think he's going to do? Uh, they just filed a trade. TaylorMade just filed a trademark. So. Okay. Mm -hmm. My and instincts do you feel and like sources were always leaning towards TaylorMade doing the apparel for him. And then I think he'll sign with FootJoy. That's what he's been wearing, whether he actually signs a contract. Because Nike or... couldn't kind of get the shoe right for a minute, right? They couldn't That's... put the resources to it because it wasn't selling enough or whatever, that you're well, not buying that. No, I don't buy that. I mean, they have the uh, best designers for footwear. You've seen that. You've worked with Tinker Hatfield. You've literally worked with the best. You've what been to the Innovation Kitchen. Yes, of course. Yeah, you've been there. What, pe yeah. what people don't realize, okay, so I'll, I'll give you, you, I know what we're getting off topic. No, 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 yeah. We're, yeah, when we're getting off topic, I when I I was signed for cross training because you go, well, you play beach volleyball, you didn't wear shoes. No, I was for training, Yes. which actually makes a lot of sense. And I'd say things like, I want my foot to feel when I'm training and I would like make like a springy thing and Tinker mm -hmm. be like, okay. And I'm like, but I have very big feet. And so when I look down at my foot, I want it to look small. Mm. And he'd just be like, oh my gosh, I'm sure guys <laughs> weren't doing that. But literally, and they literally design your footwear. The athlete has all the input. So they don't realize, people don't realize. I always think that's why Nike's always been so far ahead yes. of everybody um, in the footwear. So for whatever reason they weren't getting it he was wearing foot joy and you are very passionate about 
that you, you didn't actually think Tiger was going to, it was not going to happen. And then it ended up that he's out of Nike now. I found it. I, I would did not. I started to get wind months ago that this was like on the rocks because yeah. he kept wearing the foot joy. This is like, you know, this is sacrilege. Yeah, I mean, you know, course. you do not do this, uh, especially for an athlete of his ilk. Uh, so I just think he's old. He's at this point, he's at the end of his career. Sure. I, I think, you know, you have kids, you go through things. He got in a car accident, he almost lost his leg. Yeah. I For whatever reason, he just decided he wasn't going to fool with the innovation, like what they could offer. He got something. I, I tell people too, like, and, and you would know this, but, you know, athletes that get to that level are like tweaky. Like they're, they're, I mean, they're crazy, the crazy. I yeah, think yeah. it's crazy a little bit, but I would call <laughs> myself just crazy too. But yes, like you got something off or it's like this savant like nature that can experience like. Everyone talks about Tiger, the way that he can hit a golf ball. He can tell you the difference. And like when they line up 100 golf balls, he can tell you the difference inside of the golf ball of what's mm -hmm. happening, like with a strand. Yeah. And so I think that something, you know, whatever it is, proprioception, uh, he started to perceive something in that shoe. And I don't I just don't know that he had the energy or willingness to like try to work on something new at this stage in his career to mm -hmm. try to solve that. And then he was like, I got to get back out there on that course. And just and this feels right to me right now. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that happen over the course of business relationships. I'm sure you know, like, you know, and, and by the nature of marketing, uh, this is not a indictment on Nike. It's just that the industry in general, it's sort of what have you done for me lately? You know, oh, well, I'm I, sure aged you out, I aged that. out of Nike. Totally. Right. So yeah. I aged out because they were like, hey, listen, our, our, for the most part, with the exceptions of like a LeBron, you know, LeBron, MJ, guys mm -hmm. that are iconic, it was like, we're going for 12 to 22 yeah. because once we have you we have you forever mm -hmm. so i aged out yeah. um you know probably close to 30 uh so yeah that was just the way it was yeah it's okay yeah. and and i mean yeah for guys that's like they're 25 and or in football you know you're like you yeah. have a 2.8 year playing career Correct. so oh in the nfl people don't know that their average career is it 3.2 or it's down to 2.8 years uh 2.8 if you're like a running back or a linebacker yeah. i think 3.8 um for others yeah but, so so yeah. marketing mm -hmm. and brands and athletes mm -hmm. how has this nil deal changed though that those relationships I don't think a lot, to be honest. A lot of the big brands are not taking big swings on this. So hmm. uh, just yesterday, I'm sorry we keep talking about golf, but uh, yesterday, a amateur, a kid at Alabama, won a PGA tournament against all of the pros for the first time since 1991. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Phil Mickelson was the last person who did this. This kid, I love this story because Adidas, again, I got to give them credit, like they went and signed this, this young man uh, and within NIL, so like Flage, um, Angel Reese, uh, Haley Van Lith, they're the most fascinating case study in this to me because they're a Nike school. Flage has a deal with Puma. Angel Reese has a deal with Reebok. And Haley Van Lith has a deal with Adidas. So for people listening, institution deals. So you'll see teams, they're all in either one brand or another. Yes. So you're talking about the institution deal with LSU is with Nike. Yes. And then you have three athletes where their off-court deals off -court. are with three different Yes, right, because so they, they still are required any team activity. They're required to wear the apparel and footwear that the school has negotiated a partnership mm -hmm. with. I wonder if that's going to change. I think so eventually, uh, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. That's um, going to be interesting. They'll add that to the lawsuit list. There's like seven or eight currently pending sure. against the NCAA. But um, 
once it starts getting so adidas had this golfer already yep they signed his golfer so he was playing in, oh, in his how off, happy are they outside of alabama so they signed him he, and he wins this tournament gets all this media yesterday taylor made did too shout out to my guys at taylor made like they signed they signed him too and even though that wasn't the school deal he was playing with this stuff outside of his uh, school sanctioned activities and golf is a little more wonky and like lucy with that stuff um but like it's a huge win for them. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we'll see more of that. We almost saw that again. I have to give credit to Adidas. They signed Michael Penix and uh, Rome Adunze, who were the two stars at University of Washington. And Washington went all the way to the national championship game. And so they almost had a deal. So they announced that NIL deal back in September, I think it was, October. And they were riding that train all season long. And as I mean, you know, professional sports, particularly football, it's so hard to make a bet in football. Mm -hmm. And they made it all the way. And they almost won the title. Mm -hmm. And you would have seen, I, I was really excited for it. I think you could have seen like a college athlete featured in maybe, an, I don't know if they're going to do like a confetti moment national television commercial, but like at least something on social would be really cool. Mm -hmm. So... I, those are, but those are very few and far between. Sure. It hasn't really changed the industry that much. I think what it does is opens up more opportunity for smaller brands. And that's where I'm going, hey, if you're a smaller brand, you can't afford a Tiger Woods, but you can afford this Nick Dunlap kid, maybe. I mean, uh, you could afford, you know, basketball player or a football player who has an interesting name. There's all kinds of creative ways you can work with these athletes. And so uh, that's just what really excites me about it. What do you tell the athletes to market themselves? Because you do a lot of technical breaking down, like, hey, you have use because your videos are very poppy and quick and short and mm -hmm. condensed and full of information and bullet points. So if someone was listening to this and, and they were sort of thinking about marketing themselves, what are just what are the ways that you think um, in the communication side, some tools that are available to them? Well, the... 86% of NIL deals are done through social media. So true NIL deals. So we're mostly talking about social media. Here. Yeah. And I think that's a fair conversation for any athlete and their family to just, I've sat in front of high school recruits and go, hey, if you want to participate in NIL, it's all going to be through social media. And uh, we've discussed this. Social media is really hard. Uh, it's hard for people who don't have uh, 16 hour a day jobs and sports and treatment and therapy and all that. So uh, I think it's okay to say either, I, yes, I want to participate in this or no, I don't. I think mm -hmm. it's fair. And then you recognize the trade-offs. Um, but if you do want to participate in it, then people are following you for a reason. Um, all athletes can share their, I think the the trap most athletes fall into is they just share their media day photos. They share their game photos. And then occasionally I have a running joke with the football and basketball players. And then they do a you know, fire fit pick where they're standing, not looking at the camera and they're in a gas station. They're under, they usually take it at a gas station. Why a gas station? They're pumping fuel and I don't, they're, well, they're and then multitasking. They're pumping fuel and then I always go to the kids. I go, and, and they all start laughing. And I'm like, where are they? And they're like, at the gas station. And I'm like, are they looking at the camera? No. And I'm like, and what kind of car are they in front of? And they're like, a Hellcat. And I like do the next slide and it's a Hellcat under the garage. And they're like, ah, all these kids. They just like, it brings the house down. And it's just like, we're sheep. We all look around mm. and we just want to like post what other people are posting. So to your point, like with the young, young ladies earlier, you can post yourself half naked and you can get a lot of engagement. Mm -hmm. Is that, but, but my question for you then is like, if you want that, is that the engagement you want? Do you and want a bunch of middle old, middle-aged men following <laughs> you? Is that the audience 
yeah. that you can monetize. Well, and that's the other thing. There is a movement. I will say this because I, I know a little bit mm -hmm. is they will. There's a, okay. So there's kind of this guy. There's this guy, Ben Greenfield. I don't know if you know who he is. He's sort okay. of a wacky health and health and fitness guy. A guy like that might get paid more by sponsors because his fan base is fanatical and his conversion is high. Exactly. And so to your point, I think people sometimes only look at the numbers, but like Laird says, if you're going to have a knife fight, who's going to show up? Yeah. Right. And so when the conversion side, people, if, if you do that true thing, that authentic thing, companies will are looking at that for yes. conversion. So totally. you, you talk about tools though, like green screen and other things that are sure. available. In Instagram, uh, TikTok, Instagram is still the most monetizable platform. So like I would say, first of all, uh, vertical video, you need to get good at vertical video mm -hmm. uh, and you don't need fancy camera equipment. You can use a straight up a mobile phone um, but you got to figure out vertical video. Uh, sometimes I think a lot of, a lot of athletes, I think they overthink it. Um, I, uh, am okay. I won't keep using golf examples, but I did, you uh, Lululemon okay. signed, uh, Min Woo Lee. Uh, they also Callaway did too. And they had this, uh, video of him just like hitting multiple drives in a row. They had like one and it was all shot on iPhone, mm -hmm. just like a microphone and an iPhone. And it's, so uh, engaging to the audience that cares about that. For the golf that. porn people? For golf porn people, yes, <laughs> like totally. You. And there I was. Uh, look, look how clean that swing is. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, one of my old friends, uh, this couple, they called it Sporn. She would be like, what are you looking at at 11 o'clock at night? You know, you yeah. turn his computer around yeah. and be like Sports Center, you yeah. know, or something. It's Sporn. Yeah. But, um, uh, but I saw a track and field uh, mm -hmm. uh, long jumper this morning almost jump out of the pit. Some guy somewhere. And it was so amazing. And sometimes I think athletes just right under their nose, they have an iPhone and they do incredible things. Mm. That can be great content. Then we just need to add then the kicker. What are you interested in? So I was working with a young woman at Stanford and she is a bookworm. She played basketball, she could dunk. Um, and she wanted a deal with like uh, Barnes and Noble. And, uh, but she, but I look at her social She wants feet. a deal with Barnes and Noble? Or like Amazon, this. you know, some Love book, book place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, there was nothing on her feed that said reading. I mean, you could maybe imply that because she was at Stanford. She probably, right. she probably can read mm -hmm. pretty well. But um, yeah, her passion for it. Exactly. She so should do like book like, of the week and stuff. That's it. That's what we started. Yeah. It was, um, that's so cool. It was like Thinky Thought Thursday thing. And it was like, hey, how can we share what are you uh, thinking about based on what you're reading currently? Mm -hmm. And so that's just, you have to get some repetitions. The other thing that I have had to embody over the last 18 months that all of these athletes, and it's much harder when you're 20 years old, is you're gonna have to suck at something. I sucked at social media, I suck at green screen. I The first time I finally went viral on TikTok was when I forced myself to create in that app using all of the tools in that app mm -hmm. and like to get to know and understand it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to fumble through it, you know? And, and so it's like, we have to do a little bit of that work to uh, also put ourselves out there. All of my videos now are like, I'm starting to get in a rhythm, but I also know that's gonna go away. Well, I was gonna say with AI, now you're gonna have to learn a whole bunch of new tools and some good luck. Maybe, um, yeah. <laughs> if I was like some badass college athlete uh -huh. and I was making enough, I would, what I would do, mm -hmm is I would pay a student that goes yes. to my school, whatever, a couple hundred bucks here Preach. and there, yes. to film me and edit the video so I could focus on the things that I only I can do. Yes. So if it's worth it, if the deals are sweet enough, yes. pay a college student. Totally. Say, hey, listen, follow me here for an hour. Come to my 
Could somebody film you at your practice? Would they be allowed? So they already have people doing that and, and they need to be, okay. I tell them, you're exactly right. And I do want to drill down on this. So one, they need to be best friends with the content teams. All of the, all these schools have content teams, I you know. know, Florida State volleyball, they, they don't get as much as like Florida State football or whatever, sure. but they need to be best friends with that photographer and videographer. Yeah. I would say this in anywhere in life. If you're like, be a great chummy with the people who can create content. Yeah. Um, I think not only just because you should be a good human and nice to all people, but like definitely be nice to your content creators. Yeah, but I think get like a student that you're going to, yes. and they're about you. Totally. And they get to know you and your rhythms and then your trip. I think that would be a really, that's a dollar well spent. And I, I don't yes. know, I'm going to get crazy. Could it be a tax write-off? It could. Yeah. You're investing in your business if you uh, have an LLC, I think. Okay. Uh, but that only costs you $300, as I told you earlier. Yeah, um, Delaware people, Delaware. So, yeah. And okay. so <laughs> that's next level tech strategy. Um, well, I'm just saying, yeah, like, totally. no, because time. I know. And time. if I say, hey, yes, you got to go to practice, please. you go to the thing. Yes. Just film. Oh, I got I'm working on my uh, mobility or yeah. I've got an injury that I'm dealing with. Someone can film you while you're in the training room and whatever. So I just, you know, want to remind people that, that I just I, I just want to you can borrow that reiterate that. No, I do the same thing. It's <laughs> it's we all think early on we're when we're in a scarcity mindset. It's like, can I not? Oh, I, I need to save or I can't spend on this. It's it's you're spending two hundred dollars to earn two thousand yes. for that deal that you would get. Uh, and you may end up spending two thousand before you get a two thousand dollar deal. Yeah. But like mm. that stuff is an investment in the future, and it's really scary to do that. I've done it. I've been doing it this this last year. You know, um, this me driving up here to do this is an investment. Yeah. You're no one's paying me to come do this, but it it could lead to better things in the future. And so it's like people need to understand. I think these college athletes, uh, we have drilled into young people, rightly so. Uh, the dangers of social media. So there's like the lever, the the one to one thousand negative effects. You could say one thing, and it would be magnified a thousand fold versus mm -hmm. when you and I were teenagers. But the opposite is also true. You could mm -hmm. do one positive thing, and it can be exponentially celebrated by a thousand fold. Or we can film this one conversation, and it can go to fifty thousand people. Yeah. So there are other sides of that where you can put in a small investment and reach a big upside. So mm -hmm. I hope that they can start to understand those concepts. So let's, let's just talk really quickly about traditional marketing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I love, I love, I sort of noticed that you in some ways because of, you know, it's gotten more conservative that in certain ways, marketing has actually gotten softer because mm -hmm. people are afraid. Lawyers are afraid. Yes. Teams are afraid. Companies are afraid. And I, it was, I, I made the assumption, and, and, and I think you corrected me a little bit with COVID, may, maybe participating in why you eventually transitioned out of Nike. And mm -hmm. I thought in my mind, I was like, oh, I think you, I felt like you left Nike because it all got, you'd have this badass idea mm. and every, you know, you run up the flagpole and you couldn't get it approved. That certainly plays into it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, corporate. Totally. So corporate. there's storytelling and it's this weird fine line uh, with marketing. How... What athletes do you see in professional sports? Mm -hmm. And I know they have teams and they have all this, you know, people around them. Who do you think, what athletes come to mind where you go, oh, they're doing it right? Mm. That you like the way they're doing it. And it's, I mean, obviously I can tell you one of mine, it just came to Who's me, that? was uh, uh, Beast Mode is uh, Mar Marshall, Marshall Lynch. Lynch. Yeah. Because also he has less rules. 
Yep. It was like Charles Barkley in my day. Yes. They could get away with stuff because Tiger Woods couldn't say certain things, but oh. certainly CB could say whatever. And people are like, well, that's just CB. And that so, was his brand. Yeah. Yes. And so it's really important also not to pretend to be someone you're not because yeah. it catches up with you yes. so authentically. And that is honestly who CB is. And Marshawn Lynch is kind of yeah. outrageous and fun yeah. and he can get away with it. Yep. But who do you see that you go, oh man, they are hitting the sweet spot with their marketing and their communication and why? Yeah. Uh, I love Tom Brady personally. So really? yeah. So I happen to know he has this great um, young crew of creators who he, there was this, this cast of that generation of athlete. Like you heard about Derek Jeter, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. They were all like late to the social and they're kind of like, I'm stars. I'm going to the hall of fame. Why would I mess with this? Mm. And Tom started trusting a couple of uh, these young uh young content creators to help him with some Instagram stuff. And he went crazy viral. And he was like, oh, wow. Okay, I see the power of this. And so he invested in this media agency. It's called Shadowline. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a project with them finally. And um, I've gotten to know them over uh, the last couple of years. And I just love the business model. I mean, so he, so a guy like Tom Brady who can be at the top of his game, can see the power of this and go, okay, I really believe in this. LeBron is another one. He invested in uninterrupted along with Mav Carter. So. Naomi Osaka started her own media company. Um, a lot of the female athletes invested in together, um, whether that was Alex Morgan or uh, I believe Megan Rapinoe, Sue Bird is an investor mm -hmm. in them. And so like, I think they see the power of the media and then they invest in their own. And so the the old model of, of athlete would have relied upon media to get the story out. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you probably had to deal with some of that. Well, like, I was, but in our, in a way, in my day, I was like, oh, thank God they're investing in, in yes. my image because we didn't have access in our, in our pocket. Right. So it was right. a different, if you didn't have a big company behind you, where would they see you unless you were on the TV every week? And in an alternative sport like beach volleyball, if I didn't have Nike and other companies behind me, no one would have ever seen me. Right. I mean, we actually were on ESPN weirdly yeah. back in the early days, but to your point now they have this. So so these these athletes or people that see you this goes back to investing in yourself mm -hmm. and i, I want to highlight that point because every athlete it's sort of like stretching mm -hmm. or drinking that extra glass of water or going to bed an hour earlier these small investments that you make in yourself they pay back the dividends is beyond and so i couldn't stress that enough what image is fun for you in marketing of what, what professional athlete where you go oh man they are just going for it fun yeah like right or now. just radical uh, or fun. i mean flage at lsu is super fun yeah she's a rapper um i've gotten to know her and her mom over the last couple of years like they're they're having fun um let's see who else is fun um or edgy because i i feel yeah. like one of your criticisms was like everyone's sort of playing it Soft, safe yeah totally and i get it you got a hedge and it's not worth it um due to cancel culture but it's also okay to like Rock the boat. Yeah, rock. I mean, it's like when you try to please everybody, you please no one. So I've actually even seen. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Of, this is not not necessarily endorse this, but so Quinn Ewers, a quarterback at Texas, he's like loves hunting, and he's always posting these pictures of like holding up, you know, a dead deer or whatever. And my first, my <laughs> PR instinct in me goes, "Oh my god, what's he doing? Why is people letting him do There's that?" There's a lot of people who like hunting. I know. Well, this kid uh, who won this golf tournament yesterday, I look at his Instagram feed and like his third image is like him holding up some dead animal, you know, and I'm like, my immediate PR sense is like, wait, oh, no. But you know what? There's a whole audience of people who love hunting. 
And I'm not, I'm saying you, you could do it with tact or grace or whatever, but like, as long as you're, you know, sort of true to the whatever tenets of that community and mm -hmm. what you're doing the right way, that opens up a whole new lane. Cause guess what? Everybody else wants the car deal and the Gatorade deal and whatever. How yeah. many quarterbacks are Four getting the, people are getting those. I, I love that. Actually, I saw a friend of mine sent out a newsletter this morning about Wrangler investing in NIL mm -hmm. and like. The Texas quarterback who loves hunting, like that's that's freaking who should be in Wrang, you know, that's who should be in Wrangler jeans, yeah. you know, like, um, I just love that, like, kind of, it's just different, not trying to play the same game that everybody else is, mm -hmm. you know. So that to me is, uh, I try to just speak and I say like be um, distinct, defined, and real, um, authentic. I think sometimes people that word just gets overused, but like, you know, mm -hmm. it's okay to be real with you, and then, but also like, hey, I was a knucklehead when I was that a like be real well and be professional yeah real I think, and professional i think it's you. understanding oh wait a second i have opportunity and mm -hmm. i'm going to be a professional but i'm going to be myself yes and i think if they can accomplish that or have somebody who gives them a little nudge and goes hey maybe too far or it's okay go ahead and I, I, it's interesting for women because for women we really are held by a different standard um because like you were talking about the basketball player to be you know, boisterous and, you know, sort of like I'm, I'm great and I'm the best as a yeah. woman, very few women can get away with that. Yeah. So when you see one that can pull it off, it was, for me, it was, um, Cheryl Miller. Yes. Totally. I was like, Whoa, that is so brave. Yeah. Because usually as women we're taught to do yeah. it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And Serena is a different example because she's in, in a singular sport. Yes. When you're on a team sport, it's yeah. like, we're a team. Yeah. Remember Mia? It was yeah. like, no, it's a team effort. She never wanted to be singled out. So it was all these interesting Dynamic. ways that people uh, do it. So from, from an, I have to just ask one thing because people don't realize, um, a lot of times you'll see these companies and they have these coveted products, whether it's a jersey or a shoe. And now companies are doing sort of these wild things to keep resellers from getting mm -hmm. uh, yeah. items. So for yeah. people who don't know, it's like, do you really love those Jordans or do you really love that? Or are right. you just going to wait online and resell it? Yes. Can you just share a couple anecdotes of companies doing some pretty extreme things to give it, get it into the hands of people who love yes. whatever that sport or, you know, item is? Yep. The, let's see here, Skate Shop recently did like a Nike SB one. Um, so Nike SB is Nike skateboarding and they make really highly coveted like Nike Dunk sometimes. And so there was a Skate Shop I believe it was in Hawaii, it might have been out here in LA, but they uh, make someone do a kickflip to uh, <laughs> be able to leave with the shoes. Uh, and so you'd have to do like a skateboarding trick uh, to be able to purchase and take the shoes away. So that was basically to like prevent people from getting it. Uh, I saw one from a golf company, these Travis Scott golf shoes a golf company over in London made people hit on the simulator. And for a man, I think you had to hit the ball 200 yards. And for a woman, you had to hit over 150 yards. And you had to basically prove that you were somewhat of a golfer to be able to purchase the shoes. Mm -hmm. The last one that I would say, again, to this sort of cancel culture, backbiting, you know, uh, Tracksmith did one where this is very different from high heat sneakers, but they did a singlet for people who qualified for the Boston Marathon and it was only available. You had to basically submit your qualification or your race number to be able to purchase it. And all these people got so upset and like, oh, this, you know, and I think it's because they've they've been doing this story, which is beautiful, by the way. I was just I commented on one of the other things this morning. They're talking about the amateur amateurs from the Latin of love and, and people who do it for the love. 
and then they've been trying to like, you know, be more inclusive with their, you know, marketing and all that. And so they've, they've kind of gotten sucked up in, in maybe not being as true to their roots, mm-hmm. which I would argue is like this sort of, you got to qualify for the Boston Marathon if you want to buy this thing, you know, these like nerdy, skinny, fast runners and all these people. And they, they, they cowed to the mob and like pulled it down. And uh, I think I would, you know, I don't know. I would like to think I was not in their shoes. I don't know all the factors, but it's like, it's okay to piss off a bunch of people. In yeah. fact, you probably should be like, if you're not sharp enough with your brand, if you're not upsetting some people mm-hmm. or at the very least some a, a large percentage of people should be like i don't get it and that's like exactly when you know that you have a good audience who does get it mm-hmm. you know the uh one of my favorite things like tracksmith did this uh hour long they followed this one it's called the church of the run and she's runs in the snow for like an hour it, they run like a 10k with it and literally there's no I think they have a small like string thing under it and it's literally this tracking camera and you're just listening to her breathe and uh, that sound. run on the snow. Ooh. And it's like this beautiful like meditation on what it's like to go running solo and runners get that. And I, you know, I'm, I've run over the course of my life. I don't love running, but like I get that thing. Mm-hmm. You, I hope that most people who don't love running look at that and go, stupid, that's boring. They should. Because runners connect with that as a spiritual experience, you know? So I think that's uh, a principle that not enough brands are willing to embrace. Where did you get inspiration from? Because coming up, working for Nike and having, you know, well, actually, or, you know, you're, there's a, you have deadlines. It's like, yes, Mm -hmm. it's creative, but you have to deliver product. You have, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of goes on with that. A lot Mm -hmm. of moving parts. Where did you did the ideas come? Were they in your sleep? How did they show up for you? Where did they come? Yeah. Um, I think the Lord blessed me with just like create my mind never stops. A busy mind. It's a busy mind. Um, it nearly killed me. I think in my Mm -hmm. adolescence when I couldn't figure out how to harness that energy and I needed to quiet it and I turned to drugs to do that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I think later through the process of recovery and through healing and through therapy and yoga and all these kinds of things, I'm, I've learned how to channel it and fuel it into creativity. So I did not have a lot of the benchmarks of the general people who are being brought into Nike, former college athletes, MBAs, uh, really smart people, double majors, like done everything right in their life, like type A, they're great. And there's a lot of brilliant, very creative people there as well. Yeah. What um, was your major? It was like not history, I was but what was it? history. Ancient, ancient history. history. Yeah. I mean, it's a history degree, but my focus is on Julius Caesar and the Roman, the Roman Empire. Oh, Nike was like an empire. Exactly. I mean, oh, Nike goddess. Go. So I have the Nike goddess tattooed on my arm. I see. I have one up there yeah. somewhere. Beautiful. Yes, it's right there. Amazing. Uh, Nike was the goddess of victory, and um, you know, I what I figured out is that ancient history is studying the stories that last forever, and marketing is nothing more than storytelling. And so I learned through repetition, through reading and writing, the stories that last forever and what makes a compelling story. Why do we care about Alexander the Great 3,000 years later? Why do we care about Julius Caesar or Augustus or Cleopatra? And so uh, I think that was the special sauce. Now, I probably wouldn't have taken me five years to get my job at Nike if I had gotten something like a business degree, if they had let me in. Because sometimes when it's paper, I think you you had a entry I saw um, where you shared how 
you would lose out to like college athletes mm -hmm. and who had double majors or internships and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and how that only made you drill down on your own strengths. Yes. Um, so I think it's important for people to be, to know that we, there's a lot of ways to get there, but it's, it's not easy. It's hard. And so you, you get this job, you do the marketing part for mm -hmm. 10 years, you work in, in, with the NFL, you do all these mm -hmm. things. Was there a favorite, was there a, collaboration with an athlete or a project that you that really um just brought you it was like a d full expression of of mm -hmm. your your creativity one that we almost had uh there's a there's there's a few i mean I, I have to give credit to things like nike like yeah there was a lot of bureaucracy and all that but mm -hmm. creativity can thrive in constraint as well and so uh, that became the name. I, I came in and I knew that people started, I started to see that people really appreciate my creativity. So I started having these brainstorm activities. You know, we do these fun, like brainstorming ideas with marketing teams. And it was like, oh, wow, this is really fun. I love like, just, you can feel the energy in the room. Like, yes. And, and what if we did that? And oh yeah, yeah. And the challenge at Nike is like so many things have been done. I'll, I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. We were brainstorming, launching the NFL Jersey again. And we brought up something like launch, like what if we sent it to space, you know, or because I don't know, we we're going to do Houston or something. So it was like, oh, oh, yeah, we we did that in 97. We but we, you know, and you know, I was like, I'm sorry, wait, what? We launched it. <laughs> and somebody was like, oh, yeah, we launched this thing into space. Yeah, it's been done, you know. Mm -hmm. So like there's always this it's a different level at Nike um, and and athletes can it's really hard to get to number one, but it's so much harder to stay at number one. Mm -hmm. And so Nike's usually number one and you're having to like just beat yourself year over year um favorite projects super random one that i started and then the rest of the team finished with like gibson hazard was this young like music video director who had started to get some waves and i looked him up and found i think a lot of people make him you need to find some commonality so i found this dude he was an athlete in college and he had dropped out and had been making music videos and they were these incredible like otherworldly wild like virtual reality like stuff and i was like this dude could crush sports like if i just if we turned him loose you know mm -hmm. and uh dm'd him on instagram and he he responded a few days later and was like yeah i would love to and so yeah he, i work with nike could we work with you that probably makes it's, it great it's not a hard it's a great sell. calling card but honestly like he at that point he had just done a drake video and oh. he had done something else like so he was like getting early traction. So like he might have said, hey, music is my thing. It reminds me sometimes SNL less now, but they used to sometimes throw out a musical artist. It was always the musical artist that somebody saw early. Yes. They used to do that very beautifully. I used totally. to, I think. But what I get from that is that there's an invisible tie. Yeah. You you shared that about, uh, I think you were criticizing, um, I don't know if it's Houston, not Houston. Who Who is it that you don't like their marketing from Texas? What are oh, the Mavericks? Oh, gosh, is it the Mavericks? Yeah. yeah, the Mavericks. But there is a there is a there's a musical past, a jazz mm -hmm. past, yeah. and you were complimenting. So it's also realizing that if there's a tie, but it's not obvious, it's still intuitive. Yes. So I thought that was mm -hmm. a really yeah. good. Yeah, and I think in this world of collaborations, everybody wants to just grab two big names now mm -hmm. and like put them together. And we have to find the and you can stretch that. <laughs> so I would argue that one that I was giving credit to the Dallas Mavericks had this story of like Dallas is actually this old city of like where this birthplace had this really great birthplace of jazz and it, it led to the development in the United States. So they pulled Leon Bridges, 
who's actually from Fort Worth and most other people. Same out, state. It's okay. It's the same state, right? Yeah, it's Texas. It's You can drive 14 hours and still be in the same state. But, um, you know, it's it's down the road from Dallas. It's not quite Dallas. So that would be my only like one point deduction. Um, but he's close, close enough. But, uh, you know, there's that common bond and you have those two names and, and that's great. Um, you know, it's important to just find someone who has an anchor in that thing. I was criticizing Puma and ASAP Rocky, I think, originally, mm. because uh, I had never seen ASAP Rocky talk about his love of Formula One racing, you know, and all of a sudden they want to trot him out there as the face of Formula One for Puma. And I was kind of like, oh, well, I mean, it would help if he had maybe once talked about Formula One once in his life. Mm -hmm. Some people came and said, hey, talked about Mercedes and stuff. And I was like, OK, maybe fair enough. Because um, of Lewis? Yeah, well, oh, no, Hamilton? just Mercedes. I mean, Mercedes, we all... Oh, come on. Which of us has not declared that we <laughs> like want Mercedes. Mercedes in our life? Yeah, I, I do not think it was around the paddock or like... So I think Lewis, that that's yeah. an important, you know, going back to young athletes. You know, we all have something to contribute. Yes. So when you go and you go to these schools and they bring you in to talk to athletes, mm -hmm. what are the main things, just so I make sure that we reinforce them um, for these athletes to to think about what, cause these are a lot of decisions and, sure. and they're big ones. Yeah. Um, I, I say, Hey, there's a lot of people we have, uh, your, in, your personal brand sits between how you view yourself and how the world views you. Your personal brand sits right in between in these like concentric circles. And, uh, most people will focus on the external and go, okay, what do I need to be posting on TikTok? What do I need to be saying? What do I need to be performing? What, what platforms do I need to go be on? To me, all of that is cart before the horse. We need to figure out who you are. What makes you tick? What are you passionate about? What do you want to get out of this experience in college? Where do you want to go? And once we start to figure that out, then we can utilize these external tools to take you there. Because you may say, oh, someone, everybody says I need to be on TikTok. Well, what is it that you want to do, yeah. right? Like, so, uh, like I work with a couple quarterbacks. Um, Maybe TikTok is not the maybe maybe YouTube would be the platform for you where you can actually break down defenses and you can be signaling to your audience that are quarterback loving, want to learn offenses, they want to know everything about you. Not only that, do you signal to your audience, but then you're signaling to future pros that I'm cerebral, I know this game, I love it, I live it, I break it down. So like there's mm -hmm. there's ways to think about that. And so my encouragement for them is just like, gosh, all of us, all of us need to do this. You know this, Gabby, like you read, you lead retreats for grown adults who are like, I haven't stopped and thought about what I want in 25 years. Mm. And so uh, many of us in life have not had the luxury to be able to do that. I, um, which I think we'll get to, but at 21 years old, I sat for a year incarcerated and mm -hmm. sat around to think about what do I want my life to look like going forward? Uh, and so I realize now looking back on that was a great privilege for me in some ways to, to like, just go Jordan, stop. Like, what is it that you want this thing to look like? And, uh, as I was driving up the hills in Malibu, I was having a reflection or I was actually drinking my green juice at this beautiful, that's very California. Of you. That, oh, I love, you, I'm so you were California. here for 30 minutes and, and you I had was a green eating juice. kale and green juice. <laughs> Um, I love it. I love eating healthy. I love like treating my body well because I treated it so poorly for so long. And I, I do have to reflect on moments like this because all I wanted was to not stick a needle in my arm. Yeah. And I just wanted to have like a boring, dull life. 
and here I am like flying to LA and getting off the plane and driving up here and grabbing a green juice and you know, yeah. talking on a podcast, super fun. But um, my encouragement is to think about what, what do they actually want out of this and where do they want to go and what do they want to do? Because that will then inform the type of brand deals they want to make, the what they should be communicating on social, if they should be communicating on social. And so many people just start shouting advice in their ears post on tiktok more post on tiktok use trending audio do all this stuff so stupid it's like well what you know uh that doesn't that doesn't help if we don't know what the end goal is and yeah i i think that's true to everything in life to Mm -hmm. follow that that inside you know amen i think it's i really appreciate that so you you're at nike for years and years Mm -hmm. Prior to that, um, and you you put this on your website, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's it's actually the first thing you put on your website that you were a heroin addict. Yeah. And the reason I didn't want to put that at the top is not that I think it's a distraction. I think it's great. I think it's just so fascinating that I didn't want to get lost there. Totally. Because actually, that's probably more of the type of interview I would do. Yeah. I mean, I love sports, but this podcast is usually about like health and how to take care of yourself totally. and all these things. But it it's it. It is, it's not that it's surprising, but I really appreciate that you put it top of of list. But why, first of all, how, what was going on? Yeah. Like, yeah. what that happened? Led me to that what, yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, and, and I live with somebody who I joke, if they didn't find the ocean could easily mm. be dead or in jail. Absolutely. Yes. Like this is someone who go, they, oh, this is greatness. And I'm like, yes. And it was one inch from either uh, somebody who could be dead or in jail. So that energy that you're talking about, this energy that creates and does all this stuff for a lot of people. And I don't, I'm not saying it's more male, but young male. Yes, absolutely. I feel sometimes gets misunderstood. We try to shove young men, like sit down on your desk and be quiet and all these things. And, oh, don't cry. And don't tell me how you feel. So I think there's a lot of cases of men and maybe they are incarcerated, that given either the chance or the environment would be brilliant at Amen. something. Yes. So what ha- what yeah. happens? Because that's not um. Oh, you know, I smoked some weed. <laughs> totally. And, yeah. You know, uh, went out drinking one night. Um. Uh. In fact, yes. To your point, is a big source of concern for me. Uh, I did. You know, and I will say actually, I should go back and you know, I had a lot of creative projects. The two most meaningful t- years of my time at Nike were in Nike Women's. So like really? loving, yes, I got to do all this sexy stuff. I flew around the world, like helping with the biggest athletes in the world, a lot of male athletes doing big commercials and stuff like that. But the two most meaningful years were in Nike women's. Uh, and it was when trying to help Nike figure out how do we really serve women well? And it was really helpful for me to not only just understand women better, help me understand my wife, help me understand my sister and my mom better. And just in general, uh, I became so just a better human. And I, and so much of that is the team that I got to work with and it was really challenging. And so, um, anyway, uh, but <laughs> in the best of ways, in the best of ways, that's a guy who has a wife and a daughter and Amen. it's like, it's so challenging. It was, uh, but, yeah. um, anyway, let's go back to, to, to the, um, oh, but I was saying like, I, I have a son now. And so I, I, I see if there's a lot, there's just some challenges with, with males in America, at least we have sort of a, a weird epidemic going on with this kind of purposelessness and we're sitting yeah. guys. There's and, a retreat. They're yes, retreating. Yes, mm-hmm. totally. They're not, they're falling out of the workforce. They're living with their parents. They're not having sex. They're like, oh, that's the weirdest thing in the basement. That's the weirdest. That's the worst. Not having uh, sex. We've got some weird stuff going on in our culture mm-hmm. right now. But, um, so I, I was kind of at the very, 
uh, beginning of this. Uh, I grew up in a great home. Uh, my parents have never spoken a negative word to me ever. They breathe life into me. They breathe life under my wings. In fact, I think the one of the reasons that I am so creative is because of the the confidence that my parents uh, bolstered in me. Creativity is risk, and you know you're just sort of stepping out to do something that hasn't been done, or like taking a risk to kind of do this thing and try something. And when we're in like fear or like a trauma response or whatever, we we don't we can't take that risk. And I think my parents like love uh, and encouragement really bolstered that. So I always want to acknowledge that, especially now as a parent. Um, and so I, you're I, hoping that the cost, the, pay, the price you're going to pay is going to be softened somehow. <laughs> I'm trying to pay my penance. <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not. I, I know a giant karmic boomerang is coming my way. Was it smooth sailing till 16 or something? No, no. Uh, it was pretty smooth until maybe like 12, 11. Um, I think so. I was obsessed with sports, played all sports, uh, loved Bo Jackson because Bo played all sports, uh, or the campaign was Bo knows, uh, golf, Bo knows racing, Bo knows basketball, Bo knows football, Bo knows baseball. And I loved all those sports, but I was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. And so in Dallas, Texas, if you want to continue to play and you live basically in the city, you need and you're going to big junior highs and high schools like you need to be able to play one. You need to be really good at at least one. And so I dropped out of golf. I probably had the best promise in golf and it wasn't cool. Tiger Woods had not hit the scene yet. And it just, it wasn't cool. Basketball was cool. I wanted to play basketball. Uh, I also want to play football, but I only played one year in fifth grade. And that was very clear. I was not cut out for football. So uh, I tried out for the basketball team. I couldn't, I couldn't make it. And I just didn't have like, I watched my seven-year-old son now has practice. My daughter, she comes home from piano and she'll start to play, you know, or my son will want to go practice. And I did not have the practice gene. Uh, I'm like Allen Iverson before him, you know, it's yeah. just like practice, like, I couldn't get it. And later in my life, I totally get it. Like I want to sharpen. I want to get better. I just didn't have, I don't know where, I don't know how that comes, but it, it didn't come naturally to me. And so uh, I wanted to lower the goal and dunk with a mini ball and like have fun with my friends. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to work on my left-handed dribble, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and uh, I think it's maybe that gene that you're talking about where you just need that stimulation and you want to go for it. And if I had, I do look, when we lived in Oregon, I sort of looked around like, gosh, maybe this was what I was missing. I grew up as a city kid, you know, the most fun you, or, you know, you kind of, we rode our bikes around everything, but it was like going to the mall was like the thing, you know, it wasn't hitting ocean and waves. And I love it so much. Like I love California. I love being here. I love the West coast. I love trees and plants. My, my wife has put a moratorium on my plant buying, you know, because there's no more plants allowed in the house. They're everywhere. But, um, I love all that stuff. And I just, I maybe didn't, you know, steward that enough. And so I fell out of sports and it was kind of like musical chairs. I had dropped the golf and I had left that behind. I had dropped football, uh, tennis, like anything that I had played baseball. Um, I had a chance to go play like in select soccer, but my parents sat me down and were like, Hey, this is a big investment yeah. and it's a lot. And we will, we will, or we're willing to fund it but you have to be like all in on this if, yeah. if you want. And I respect them for that. I, I appreciate that conversation they have with me. And I was kind of like, eh, I don't want soccer to be my whole life. And so um, I think this was kind of the early stages of specialization when they were, mm -hmm. they were kind of forcing you to pick a path. And uh, so anyway, the music stopped. 
and I didn't have any of that stuff left. And all my friends who were like athletes all went off to their sports yeah. and there I was. And I was sort of friends with everybody. I still pride myself on that to some degree. I can get along with anyone, but I kind of gravitated towards, you know, just anybody um, doing drugs and all that. So I started getting high at about 13, 14, drinking. And I think it was just really bad combination of adolescent angst, purposelessness, yeah. uh, a lot of pain. My grandfather had died at that age. I had a couple of like had my little heart broken a couple times. And like you add all of this stuff, like you lose your positive outlet, you lose your, you know, um, positive figures in your life. You lose the, you know, f whatever your my conception of a girlfriend at the time, you know, and adolescence was really hard. And so I found something that would treat that all that angst and pain and how does a teenager get access to heroin oh though my gosh tell me about it no uh, I mean, is it you have to steal to get money to buy it or how does that work because i mean that's a that's a that's not you know you're not yeah. taking your parents booze out of the booze right, cabinet out of the cabinet exactly and that's freaking ballsy too by the way yeah uh, no but that same marketing like here's my idea yeah i mean that's ballsy yeah yeah it's yeah well you do have to be a combination of kind of reckless and foolish and then um, yeah. yeah, a little bit of that. So are you 15, 16? Yeah, 15 got introduced. I was hanging out with some older kids. Uh, this is the beginning of the opiate epidemic. Oh, yeah. So I missed that. fentanyl. Thank God. I missed fentanyl li by literal months. I've retraced, like, I've gone back and done a lot, read a lot of literature on this stuff. And um, one of my, my first friend who died of an overdose um, died when I was, um, you know, just maybe six months out of jail. Um, and so I was about a year and a half clean at that point and my first friend died and then subsequently lost so many more. Yeah. Um, so are you talking about, are you really saying more like oxy or pills? No. So heroin was introduced in a snortable oh. powder form. Oh. Uh, it was black tar heroin. You could break it down and then you could snort it. So it was different than like your, you know, you're watching Shooting basketball diaries or, or whatever the yeah. movies train spotting. Oh yeah. Um, it was, it's, it didn't have to go that grimy. So it made its way to like middle class, you know, yep. suburbs, trailer parks, inner city. I mean, did everything now. Like it wasn't just your old, like, you know, Philadelphia, New York, gritty streets. And so um, it came from Mexico. I was in Texas. Uh, so this black tar, Mexican black tar heroin started to come up and it was uh, cut. It was called Chiva. And um, it started to make its way into America in a lot of different ways. And so I was kind of in the early wave of that. So I got caught up in that and basically just spent the next several years in addiction and just couldn't get out of it. And so did you, could your parents recognize it? Um, yes. After a couple of years. Cause you know, it's weird. Mm -hmm. And I can say this just from different experiences as a parent is, you know, there was an expression I heard when I was in high school to the pure, all things are pure. And I, I, someone told me that one, at one point, um, there were some indigenous tribes that they'd be on the shore and they couldn't see a boat, a sailboat that was mm -hmm. in the ocean because yeah. they'd never seen one. Yeah. So they couldn't uh, recognize it. Sure. And so I think people go, well, the parents, how do they not know? It's like, well, if you're not doing it and you're yeah. not around it, totally. you, it's very difficult. It's sort of like you don't, yeah. and you're there. Yeah. Right. So, so you have a couple years and then are, do you ask for help? Do you get in trouble? I mean, all, uh, all the above. Uh, I got arrested for the first time at 14, got arrested again at 19, um, for small possession charges. Mm -hmm. And then I was just constantly in trouble with the law, with the school, with everybody, you know, I just, um, was getting all kinds of tickets, you know, minors in consumption, minor in possession, um, fake driver's license. I mean, it was always something I was always in trouble. And, uh, 
you know, this, this brain that I have now that can do fun, you know, smart things a lot of times was just being used for uh, all kinds of nefarious reasons. And so uh, you basically end up at, at 21 years old and the state of Texas says, hey, um, this is your uh, third strike now. And they gave me a chance. They gave me several chances. They would give me probation and all that. And then they said, okay, we're giving you like one last chance. We're giving you this prison treatment program. So I went to a prison unit in Texas had to wait for that for about six months and then went to this prison unit for another six months and where you're on a prison unit and you do like uh, some groups during the day. They call it like a therapeutic community. Mm -hmm. I use that term very loosely. Because uh, are you just teaching each other new bad stuff? Well, they're, no, I'm they're, kidding. I'm kidding. Well, but, there's know. some of that, but <laughs> I mean, some of the tools could have been effective. A lot of these places have been shut down. They've been, you know, it's not helpful. So I believe I was the outlier. I, I am an outlier with an addiction mm. to, to my knowledge. So there's something like 93% of people who are in addiction or alcoholism have at least three or more adverse childhood experiences. So you're dealing with some form of trauma, usually physical, often sexual, um, really bad scenarios, particularly in incarceration, especially with men in incarceration, I believe. Um, you know, eight out of 10 men in incarceration did not have a positive father in their home or present. Right. And so, hmm. uh, that must've made you feel shitty. Um, kind of, I would imagine oh. like, why is, why like knowing all this and being like, what's my problem? Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you're, I Cause I've had experiences where I'm like, why would I feel that way? Mm -hmm. Cause nothing's, I would imagine yeah. it must've been an interesting extra layer it was confusing. I yeah. Think. I was like, people would be like, what, what is the thing? You know, <laughs> people have these big breakthroughs and I was like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're like my hardwiring and I'm sensitive. Yeah. Well, I couldn't <laughs> articulate. I like, you know, so many years later I can figure this stuff out. Like I know, but God ask a young man to say that he's sensitive. Like I, I know that in the truest sense of the word, like I am a, I am highly sensitive. There's this personality type I actually found. I don't know whether it's you know, whatever, but I found it to be really helpful, highly sensitive personality. And I am a high sensation seeking, highly sensitive person. Oh. And so uh, it's basically, I think most of us as a male, we view that as a, a negative term, right? But I've actually realized my superpower. Mm -hmm. So I sense everything. You know, this is why I can speak in a room. I know very quickly whether I've lost their attention, whether they're paying attention to me, whether they're in the mood for, you know, emotional or energetic or whether I need to be funny or what, you know. And so um, I, you know, I really, it took me so long at Nike to realize like not everyone in the world knows exactly what pair of shoes and what brand they're wearing and all these other, and what kind of socks they're wearing uh, from the moment they walk into a room. I just pay attention to that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. And uh, so much of us and like what I would do with athletes is figuring out what are those God-given talents that we have that then we need to bring to the surface that just saying not everybody has that. That's yeah. not the way everybody's wired. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was a process over a long period of time to realize. I think it was just this, um, I, to my knowledge, do not have that childhood trauma. Um, but I had a swirling of effects that all kind of happened at a really perfect storm, perfect storm mm -hmm. of like a pretty sensitive soul going through really hard things, uh, you know, death and breakups and losing your passion and sports and um, adolescence. And you introduce this thing that helps calm all that, mm -hmm. not only my mind, but my heart, you know, and 
uh, it's a painkiller. You know, you yeah, look sure. at painkilling. Um, it's people are often treating the uh, emotional pain that they're going through when you're dealing with addiction. So, so how about coming out of that? Yeah. How does one rebuild their life? Because sometimes we get labeled, we label ourselves, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you built this life out of this. What what were the first steps to? that rebirth mm -hmm. and, and building, building a life. Cause that I would imagine could be daunting. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it was, uh, again, I'll point out that I had, uh, two positive and present parents, which is not a luxury that a lot of people have. Mm. And, um, so while they were kind of done with me <laughs> at that point, they at least visited me, I think twice <laughs> during that year. Um, and maybe more, but not much more. Uh, and my sister didn't come. She still to this day will apologize for not coming, but she's like, she was done with me. You know, like she was a, at Texas. She had done all the things right. You know, she had yeah, seen sure. my path, not all the things she would tell you, you know, she was she your younger sister. Yes. Yeah. And she was amazing. And, and like, but she was done with me, you know, and my parents were done with me too. They kicked me out. They had shut, cut, cut me off. And, um, I think that, um, may have helped me. I don't know that it is the, the strategy that everyone should employ. But uh, so I got out, I, I went to the Salvation Army, which is like a halfway house in uh, downtown Dallas, um, and lived there while I kind of started to put one foot in front of the other. I started working the Sunglass Hut and uh, then just kind of working a part time job. Uh, and I, might have, I, I actually worked full time at, at the Sunglass Hut for a while. And then was going to meetings, you know, get in recovery, got a sponsor and was, you know, going through that process was really rocky and hard. And then I finally found a guy who kind of reached out to me and was just like, hey, I'm going to sponsor you. I'm going to walk you. Look, it was this crazy moment. I talk about it on the I Am Second film that's on my site. But um, and I got walked into recovery and found a really good community of people who were kind of walking in the same path. And really, we were all just broken and bedaggled, but trying to piece it all together, you know, mm -hmm. trying to be accountable to one another and try to be better. And I met my wife in recovery. Um, and so I, I really lucked out in that way. And then I had my parents, at least my dad had gone to college. And I think my mom had regretted not going. And so they really pushed me to like consider it. And everyone's was like, you're so smart, you should do this. And I have a, um, uh, my grandparents are really smart and academic and all these things. And so they really pushed me. And so I would try, I went to community college for like one summer semester, you know, take one class. And then I was like, okay, I can do it. And then I was like, okay, take two classes. And then I was like, oh, okay, I think I could do that. You know, and it was like, okay, take one semester of 12 hours, you know, and started putting that one foot in front of the other. And then, you know, eventually went through school uh, into college. Um, I went to SMU I applied to go, I, I probably would have gone somewhere like farther away, but I was like only a year into recovery, I think. But that's, that's a nice school too, because it's faith-based. So at least yeah. it's like you're getting support. Yeah, right? it was, the, the main benefit of SMU was, um, uh, I don't think there was a lot of faith really there. There's a lot of finances at SMU, oh, but, oh, um, there, there, but there was, I, I, and while I didn't have those, I had uh, small classes. Mm. And that was a real, and I got federal aid to pay for my education. 
So I had a couple things. One, there were tools available. Everybody who's incarcerated talks about these resources that are available. Like, are there enough? Are they in the right place? We could have that debate. I have a lot of hot takes on the criminal justice system, but there were some. And I most guys will talk about it, plan it, and then not do anything. Mm -hmm. And I stuck with a couple of those. So like they paid a few thousand dollars. I got the state of Texas paid um for usually my books most semesters like and I had to go once a semester and meet with a counselor and that was like my check off and then they would give me like a check to write for my books and all that the federal government I got um Pell grants to pay for my education and so there's some legislation recently passed where they can allow Pell grants to pay for incarcerated mm -hmm. um, men and women to get education because education will lead to liberation and freedom we punish and humiliate and yeah. prevent people from getting back in the workforce. And I hope that people can see my experience that when I had uh, a softer landing, when I had support, when I had people encouraging me to go in the right way, when I had resources to pay for my education, I took advantage of some of those mm. and look at what my life has it been helped. able to come. It's amazing. I can't help but think that that journey you went on, though, makes you more maybe I would say compassionate mm. and even easier to relate to these athletes that you're trying to help right now, because a lot of them come from really hard places. Yeah. And so weirdly you building your life and building who you are and finding out what are your interests and going through a hard time makes you more, you know, compassionate. And it just is that reminder over and over that, especially the hard things that we go through, if we can survive it and learn from it, that they, they just always catapult, you know, catapult us. And, um, yes. you know, I, I, I really appreciate that you keep that on your docket because you have a lot of things you can talk about. You can talk about marketing, you can help athletes. It's all very sexy. Yes. Um, but you keep that in there because, you know, a lot of people are navigating this. Totally. And I, I always tell people like, I'm a very linear thinker, but I'm married to a very sensitive person who's mm. very creative. Yes. And I, I said, I, I've never met an addict um, who wasn't sensitive. Mm. Yeah. I just haven't. Totally. And it's, so it's not like, oh, what's wrong with them? It's like, mm. oh, no, they're experiencing the world in a very different way. Yeah. And and so I, I just think that that's an, an important reminder. Um, very insightful. I well, think a lot of people just view. And it makes it really hard to deal with people through their shenanigans. I mean, there. I don't also have, I don't have all the answers. I am a super like pretty f liberal, like I think we should legalize drugs. I think sure. we should, I think we should, I mean, I'll go as far as to say, sometimes we should give people clean needles so they just don't die. Like well. uh, there's all kinds of ways that I'll go. And yet when I have a, you know, grandmother who talks to me about her son who keeps using and he's got a four-year-old daughter that he leaves alone or whatever, you know, like, or yeah. drives drunk with their kids in the car. Like, these are very hard things to deal with. And they, they are unlovable in a lot of ways. But I think when we can go beyond, and I rattle off those statistics for a reason, because I think a lot of us just think that, I don't know, somebody's just getting drunk because they love it. And and if you're moving into that place, like yeah. addiction is usually defined by continued use despite uh, negative consequences. Yeah. And so like most of us have that response that goes, okay, this thing hurt me, I'm not gonna do it again. And it gets broken, you know, or they get overwhelmed with whatever life or the thing is, and that is what they're using to treat 
yeah. uh, what's going on. The pain. And yes. I, do you think that your love of all athletes and all sports, that that's why you put your sights on Nike because they were the king? Mm -hmm. So you're like, I love all these sports. I was thinking, I'm going to work for that company. Do you think that that was the why? I just have a, I have a bizarre and inexplicable. Okay, so I was sitting, I had a next door neighbor. Uh, I graduated college. I got a degree in history. I couldn't get into the business school. Um, I wanted to go teach and coach and I applied to go basically like teach. I was going to teach history and coach like JV basketball or something. Like I just wanted to settle down and like just not rock the boat and just whatever. And my next door neighbor, I, I bought a pair of shoes on sale at finish line. I come home and my next door neighbor works at this running specialty account. His name's Duncan. He's like the yoga Yoda of uh, footwear. He's a savant when it comes to like fitting footwear and all this stuff. He's amazing. Uh, he's South African and he has this great accent and all this stuff. But, um, and I go, wow, Duncan, it's like the, um, home improvement, probably dating myself here, but like 10 over the fence, neighbor, like over the fence, we were literally over the fence. And I was like, Duncan, I just bought another pair of shoes against my will. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I am obsessed with Nike. I've had a bizarre brand loyalty from the time I was a kid. And I'm sure my name and Michael Jordan was coming up at the time and mm -hmm. Deion Sanders and all these athletes, Bo Jackson, that it all contributed the machine you know, certainly got it me. It got me. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But I also, you know, I wrote this in a newsletter last week. I started reflecting like as cheesy as this sounds, when I got out of incarceration, I was very determined to, I got into working out while I was locked up, mind, body, spirit. I knew I had to give myself a chance. I had to do something drastically different. I mm -hmm. mean, drastically different, or I was going to go right back to the way I'd been living before. And so I wanted to keep into working out. And I remember going to Academy and trying to buy some Nike Pro like workout gear on sale. And um, I felt like Superman putting that stuff on. Mm -hmm. Like I felt stronger, you know? <clears throat> yeah. And that may sound you put weird the costume to people, on. but you put the costume on, yeah. you know? And it was like, I felt like I could work out better like by putting it on. And so yes, all those athletes. Um, I also believed that there was this bit of like, we mentioned John McEnroe earlier, like there was this rebel spirit at Nike and you have some of that as well. Like there is Nike is best when there's like a rebellious spirit in them. Yeah. And I think I always sensed, you know, we mentioned Charles Barkley and others that they could like, they would welcome like misfits and mm -hmm. rebels. Well, Bowerman and Phil. Yes. Are, both, are like misfit, you know, they kind of are totally. And so it was like, I prefontaine, you could go on the whole lineage, yeah, you know, that's sure. what makes them best. And so, I, I thought maybe like they would accept somebody like me. Mm. And while my story was not front and center when I applied for the job, I didn't tell my story publicly until I was five years into that 10 year career. Mm. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this because you were, you were saying something about it. I wanted, you, why do I keep it? Because uh, what I realized was that people sort of admire us in our strengths, but they connect with us through our struggles. Yeah, And so like, you didn't get choked up when I was talking about all these cool athletes that I worked with. It's kind of like, oh, that's cool. And like, that's fun to talk about, but it's yeah. like, whatever. But when we connect on like a deeper level is through our faults and our struggles and what we've been through. And so when I saw, when I, I, I took this risk, I thought I was maybe committing career suicide, but again, I had done the work to say, what do I believe I was put here for? It was to try to help people and steward people and help people live a better way of life. And a lot of that was in recovery. If I could do this film, I got approached by this organization, I Am Second, if I could do this film publicly and save at least one person, then am I going to sacrifice that for like some cool job, you know? Right. And so, but these were false uh, uh, choices that I was putting in front of myself. I did the film, 
Nike supported it. And it, I connected with my teammates on a whole nother level. Yeah. And people started coming to me and telling me all kinds of things that they had been through and that they appreciated. And I, I was celebrated at Nike and they promoted me and they put me on stages and they, you know, did all kinds of cool stuff. And so, uh, that was, I, th my senses early were affirmed later mm -hmm. by when I shared that story. And so a lot of what I'm doing with these athletes is then just trying to give them my story and my experience and trying to encourage them in that, you know, Hey, I know everybody celebrates you and your strength, but you've also probably been through some struggles. I know you have. And if we can find the right way to share that struggle through your story, you mm -hmm. will connect with people on a much deeper level than whatever you can do on the volleyball court or basketball court or football field. Yeah. And it's, it's fun when it becomes less scary to be who you really are. <laughs> It's a so much, much nicer way to go, to go through life. So much easier. <laughs> you know, it just is. Oh my gosh. When you publicly speak, do you get scared or are you like, do you have you, you worked it out? I've worked it out. Yeah. All right. Well, I, that's a gift to you. Cause you know that a lot of people, they don't like that. So I do know, I know I, I probably should be more scared of some things like heroin and other you know <laughs> drugs in my past, but, no problem. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, I don't know. It's probably my need for attention or something. You know, I, I can, I've used it in my favor now, but I really enjoy it. And I enjoy kind of, you know, sparking something in people and yeah. trying to move them in a positive way. So I've, I've really enjoyed it since I was young. Tristan Cameron, if you have a question or anything left over that I missed, didn't cover. I'd love to hear just a little bit about uh, your transition from working at Nike to starting your own company. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think that's yeah. quite the drastic change totally. like yeah it's called stuck at home with your children <laughs> no so so you uh, tristan just asked if you you know you you have this great career mm -hmm. deep roots giant company we know nike's not going anywhere and you decide i know i'm going to be an entrepreneur yeah that's such a such a safe bet oh gosh yeah <laughs> well so um, what, what was the, uh, had it been a long time coming or what happened? No, uh, halfway through, I did get a real itch to leave and start my own company. I started learning all these things. And that's what I do. Like it's a lot of the content I do, a lot of the resources I put on my site are just like, I had no idea all this stuff existed. Like yeah. I didn't know things that agencies, I didn't know what a marketing agency was. I didn't know what a creative agency was. I didn't know there were people like the very talented uh, people here filming this studio. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know all that stuff existed. You know, before I would have seen, yeah, I don't know. I just, and so I feel like it's a, a little bit of my duty to kind of go, like, did y'all know there's all these opportunities to do this stuff? Like I just kind of linearly put my sights on Nike as this corporation and was just like looking at that job board. And I didn't realize that there were all these other things surrounding it that I could have, that I could eventually got into that would then help me get in there much better. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Anyway, it was a great career. It was awesome. The first time I almost left was like, I wanted to help teach college create. I wanted to help. I could see the wave of how powerful creative and social was going to be for college teams. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go teach them how to fish or fish for them. Um, they've eventually brought all that stuff in house. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I don't think they invest enough in it still, um, even though it's the number one place that their brand shows up. And so I'm pretty passionate about that stuff. And when I go visit these college campuses, I usually you know, have fun chatting with the creative team or whatnot. And so um, that was the first time. I always felt like I was entrepreneurial. I had this spirit in me and people would ask me about the cool stuff at Nike. 
and they would say, what do you think has helped you succeed? And I was like, I, I know this sounds weird in like a multi-global national corporation, but it's because I'm entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And I do love um, the, I saw you had a shoe dog there. You know, it is, it is a company that even though there's a lot of bureaucracy and there's a, it's a corporation like everything, it does welcome in the right places an entrepreneurial spirit. It still has that. And so that was welcomed in me and stewarded me in a lot of, of my roles. And so, you know, then, but you have kids, things change. Um, my wife and I, went, we had four miscarriages trying to have our, our, our first kid. And then we, we, we got pregnant and she was five months pregnant. I got the job offer to go to Beaverton. I'd been with Nike down in Texas in our home. And so we moved. Uh, so we, um, we had just bought a house six weeks prior. So we, uh, sold a house, bought a house, moved across country, had a baby. And I started a new job, like all in, you know, this few months and it was great for a while. And then we had our, our daughter, um, who's beautiful and such a gift. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, my yeah. job went from flying all over the country, flying over the world, sometimes Paris, Madrid, London, working with all these cool athletes, going to games and being on the sidelines and doing all this stuff. And again, that high sensation seeking, like mm -hmm. I was just like, it was moving and grooving. And I didn't love working on campus as much because I was in a lot of conference rooms and meetings. And so that creativity would get, but, but you had enough breath of the fresh air where you go down to LA, go to New York and all this stuff. And so we just like sat at home. Like he worked for home for two years straight. With little kids. <laughs> two little kids. I mean, 18 months and three, 18 months old, three years That's old. That's like almost the worst ages possible. Literally. Because a new baby would be fine. They sleep a lot. Yes, totally. <laughs> One baby, <laughs> maybe even two babies. Give me two babies, but two like days. two toddlers in a, it was a relatively small house. Um, so suddenly, and I was looking back at the pictures. I'm speaking to a um, company tomorrow who's like a, they, they do baby strollers and all this stuff. So, you know, and I was, I was thinking back about how hard that was. And, uh, anyway, it just got really, really hard and I'm not afraid to, to run or I'm not afraid to go into hard things, but I just, it, I just started to have to ask myself is like, is this where my wife is served best? I love her. And my job is to serve her well. And my job is to serve my children well. And if we are like sitting in the cold, rainy, wet portland oregon for like seven months out of the year yeah. uh with these two toddlers and it portland was like shut down shut down y'all it was none of this texas stuff i don't know what california i think california is like no we were pretty we were they they're they're scared here yeah mm -hmm. in texas it was like go <laughs> oh, yeah. on for two weeks and then go back to life portland was like for two years they literally didn't <laughs> how you know, about when you flew wasn't it the best like you fly into Texas and somehow COVID doesn't, I love that didn't contrast. Exist. It's amazing. It you get in Oregon, they're like triple mass. So did it you do a, a business, did you do a business plan or did you, did you have um, a plan before you said, Hey, I'm shutting it yeah, down fair. at Nike or uh, two things. One, again, I met so many amazing people there. One of my really good friends, guy mentored me through personal finance. So mm -hmm. I got really into personal finance a few years before. And so I had been investing, I had been saving, I've been doing all this stuff, even on like uh, even when my wife stopped working and we were making it on mine, like I'm so grateful for that because I could not have made the jump into entrepreneurship. It was so much more expensive than I thought it was going to be <laughs> oh, yeah. so much more. Um, I was like, Oh, I'm a single consultant. Like I need a MacBook and like a camera and an LLC and I'll be good. Like, and I was like, Oh my God, like I spent so much money the first year, but, um, you invested in yourself. I did invest in myself indeed. Um, <laughs> 
And so uh, it, I just had to kind of, again, call my own bluff and go, if I believe that my first role is, if I believe I'm entrepreneurial, if I believe that my wife and my children are not set up for success, all of our family lives in Dallas, Texas. When I say all, like all of our family and friends live in Dallas, Texas. I wish that they live somewhere else. <laughs> I do not want to live in Dallas, Texas, but my life is not about me at this stage. Yeah. You know, um, I think eventually we'll make it to the West Coast or something, but like, and I also want to be clear. I don't want to sound like a martyr here. I was not happy in Portland, Oregon when it rained for seven months out of the year. Um, I, uh, the cruel irony of Nike, Gables to say this is like in a corporation, I think they stewarded my talent. They rewarded my creativity. I kept getting promoted for my creativity. And the higher I went, the less creative I got to be. Yeah. Uh, my creativity was being used on like, how do I not let this corporate machine chew up and spit out really talented kind souls designers and you know such, and yeah. like the team of marketing they're young and whatever and it's doggy dog like anyway um and so uh or i just want and i what i realized is like nike is probably better than 98 percent of corporations i was like up against i was at fundamentally at odds i don't think human beings can function and thrive as we are intended in a corporate setting but um and, and so entrepreneurship has been really good for me. So one, I was really passionate about NIL. I'm obsessed with this concept of looking at like, what is a perceived disadvantage that I perceive to have and how do I turn into advantage? Mm -hmm. So it's was like, I need to live in Dallas, Texas. That was very clear. Uh, but there's no sexy, like my, the, the world that I was in, like sexy marketing doesn't exist in Dallas. You either in Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, or New York, not even Chicago as much anymore. Like you right. can be in Chicago, but. So there's really like five cities you could live in in the United States and do like stay in my genre. And so I was like, okay, NIL is coming. I'm super passionate about it. If you looked at like my Twitter feed from years ago, it was just basically blasting amateurism and, and being very frustrated with it. I don't know why, um, but it was this passion that I had. And so I was like, I'm within a three hour drive of 15 universities who are obsessed with sports. I think this could be an opportunity. And so it was a lot harder than I thought. I thought, look, I've got this crazy story. We had, I've just rattled off to you for the last hour and a half. I'm like, I'm going to tell them that. They'll hire me like next month. It'll be great. I'll be booked up. And all these people were like, oh, yeah, you'll be booked up. You're going to be doing great. But it took a lot longer than I thought. So like I saw you, I think, in November. And it was this amazing week with Florida State. I got connected with Florida State in July of 2022. Oh. And it took over a year of like wow. this relationship with Sarah Petronio is amazing human. We had an amazing touch base. She was one of the good people who were like serving student athletes. So that's like more than 14 or 16 months. Months, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like while keynote speaking, you can get good rates and all that. It just took so much longer to steward those relationships than I thought. And yeah, there are all kinds of other challenges in the business. But so I got scrappy, but I had this moment and, you know, James Clear does the Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. Um, I abhor email. I hate email. I do not want to, I never want any people are like, join our email. I'm like, I would literally rather stab myself in the eyeball mm -hmm. than sign up for another email. But, um, and now I ask people to join my newsletter, but, um, he, he had this one and was like, how would you counsel your, your best friend if they were facing your biggest problem? And, uh, uh, when I was really worried, meditating in Portland, Oregon, rainy Portland, Oregon, my kids climbing all over me. And I was like shaking to my core thinking about, I'm about to leave this dream job. Like, are you yeah. freaking crazy dudes? Like, cause I knew when we moved out of Portland, Oregon, like I'm leaving Nike and yeah. I don't think they're going to change their remote 
possibility. Like, and it might be three months I get to stay. It might be six months. It might be 18 months. It ended up being like, I think 15 or 18. But, uh, and I, I, and I had this like out of body experience where I sort of looked at myself and it would be like, after I just rattled off all this to you, I would be like, dude, do you think that like Nike is the mountaintop? You're going to be freaking fine. Mm. Like you're going to figure it out. You're going to overcome. Like you've been through all these hard things. You've hustled, you know, you've done all these things. You're going to be fine. And uh, so I had to kind of give myself that pep talk to like actually do it. But I'm really glad I did. Yeah. I'm, it's been really hard, but I'm so much happier. Well, it seems like you're finding a stride. Too. Yes. Because we am. can't have our legs underneath us until we know what the speed of the game is of what we're doing. I mean, that's right. There's just no way. Um, that's right. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, Jordan, in wrapping up, um, I will say that if I oversimplified it, it is that true reminder that, it, you know, this is our, our one true life, each of us. Mm. And when, we can get in touch with who we are, what we're good at, what we can contribute, whether you're an athlete or you're looking to start a business on your own or take on an adventure or career that a lot of people be like, well, that's really hard, you know, or why do you think you can do that? I, I think that strong reminder of if we do it as our authentic or our real selves, it finds it its way. And it is scary. Yeah. And it's even scary though when I think when we follow the rules. I think when we hit a clock. There's elements of that that are either a slow death or um, nothing's for sure or guaranteed anyway. So the idea of taking chances. And and I really appreciate you sharing your story a, a lot. Um, you can see why I didn't want to start with that. Oh, no. Because I, I, yeah, I see. Because yeah, totally. it makes talking about marketing. So, okay, that's great yeah, about great. your no, addiction. Totally. Yeah. And uh, like, let's talk about marketing. It's like, okay, <laughs> weird. Um, <laughs> totally. Because it's sort of like... In the, in the yeah, grand scheme the of things, yeah. what's more important? What TikTok <laughs> strategies should these athletes Green screen yeah. is now good. Now we've moved it's beyond good. the uh, death-defying addiction. Can you Let's remind people? <laughs> no, seriously. Mm -hmm. Should they do bullet points? And mm -hmm. how'd you know to point here and then yeah. point there? Um, can you just remind people of all the ways uh, to reach you? And, and I, I do feel like you offer that if people write you a note that you'll respond. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I, I do. I try to actually respond to almost everything I get. Yeah. Most of my website, which is jordanrogers.xyz, J-O-R-D-A-N-R-O-G-E-R-S.xyz. Mm -hmm. It has links to all my social. I'm most active on Instagram, which is at jordanrogers, J-O-R-D-A-N-R-O-G-E-R-S. Yeah. Um, and that's where I'm most active. So I try to respond to everything. It's, it's getting harder. Okay, so good news for you mm -hmm. is I hear on the horizon that there will be probably in the next year um, sort of almost like a chat GPT assistant that can kind of funnel through your emails and help you with that. So I'll be learning that myself. Oh, I just want to let you know. I've got a great DM automation system that's working for me right now over the last couple of weeks. So um, What do you mean? It's incredible. Uh, basically, you see these people that say comment X and I'll send you something. Mm -hmm. So it's oh, a yes. DM automation. So I'm, I've been utilizing it over the last couple of weeks and I'll be like, comment sports and I'll send you this PDF that I just made and it'll collect an email. Uh, I'm doing like a trade off a lot of times for an email to try to build a, you know, newsletter business eventually to share the, I've realized because I, I while I hate email, I've learned that a lot of people don't necessarily want to watch TikTok videos, they would like, but they would like my wisdom in mm -hmm. another form. And so, um, yeah, the DM automation is pretty cool. And then most of my site is built around trying to, uh, a lot of people want to 
pick my brain or talk to me for 15 or 30 minutes about getting a career or whatever. And I'm so I'm like, I have a whole page of, I literally bought how to get a job at Nike.com. You can go to how to get a job at Nike.com and it's my website and it has all these free resources. It's got a paid workshop you can take if you want like the, the deepest, but um, it's all my podcast appearances where I talk about my career. It's my um, life story. It's tips and tricks. Uh, and then, you know, speaking inquiries are on there um, and consulting inquiries, which I have less and less time for. But it, I try to arm everybody where you don't need my time yeah. to answer all those questions. So maybe AI will help us with that in the future. I, I think it's right around the corner. You have no idea. I, I've got some idea, but we'll see. I, I talk enough. I, I don't know if I need an AI chatbot to talk anymore, <laughs> but it might. We'll it see. might help. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Thank you, Jordan. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. All you have to do is go to gabriellereese.com or head to the episode show notes to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, podcasts, and so much more. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and send them to at Gabby Reese on Instagram. And if you feel inspired, please subscribe. I'll see you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.